Listen. Welcome to Nintendo Voice Chat episode 433, or should I say, hey, listen. Oh. I'm joined today by Per Schneider, da, 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 da. Sam Claiborne, hey, everybody. and Casey DeFridis. Now, you're looking at this desk and you're probably wondering, uh, what are they going to talk about today? <laughs> well, good news, everybody. Uh, we're going to talk about The Legend of Zelda Ocarina of Time. And why is that? Um, that's because... This game is turning 20 this month. Oh my god. Which is absolutely insane. Um, it's a super important game to all of us on this panel. I hand selected you because you're the biggest Ocarina of Time fans that I know, and also you were here and available. So <laughs> a little double whammy. But no, it's really good to have you guys on the show. I'm really excited to talk about this game. We're gonna do some mm -hmm. deep dives into uh, the development of this game, the uh, legacy, things like that. So um, I really wanted to do a special episode for Ocarina because it's one of my all-time favorite games, and I know that uh, it's a really important game, not only to IGN, but to uh, Nintendo fans at large. Yeah, 20 years ago, did you do a podcast when this game came out? I did, yeah. <laughs> no. It was, yeah. Nobody no, I, had, you were looking at you me, did? though. Yeah. Nobody had invented pods yet. Okay, so there's no pods at the no, time. No but there was a website, we, right? We didn't even have smartphones. Yeah, there was a website. And a review. We reviewed it. IGN64.com. Was it IGN64? Then? Yeah, that's right. Okay. Yeah. So quickly before we get started, I do want to give the audience a little bit of a disclaimer. If you're listening to this on iTunes, if you're an audio only fan, you might want to jump in and watch um, the video version of this because we're going to have a lot of supplemental video footage this time around. Uh, we have some cool stuff like, you know, video features and stuff like that that's going to work their way into this episode. Nice. Um, also, uh, a second video disclaimer. Uh, if you're out there and you're watching this episode and you're mad because we're playing the uh, 3DS trailer when we should be playing the original trailer or looking <laughs> at 3DS footage when we're talking about Ocarina of Time on the Nintendo 64, get out of here with that. I don't care. It's going to be great. They're essentially the same game. No big deal. So just roll with the The shield punches, is right? different. The shield is different, but also it was much easier to pull footage from the 3DS version yep. because it looks so much better than the whatever 480, 360p version and, of the And original. Navi's less annoying, so it doesn't take as much time. It's the game we remember. True. It's not the game it was, but it's the game yeah, we remember totally in our heads what that's it right. looked like. We're going to talk a little bit more about that version later on, but yep. I did want to start by talking about uh, this game in terms of legacy for IGN because it was possibly our first 10 out of 10 <laughs> review. Uh, I did want to uh, go ahead and, and let you kind of explain a little bit about that review, but I also I, I put down a quote here, and I'd like you to do your best Per Schneider impersonation and read this quote from uh, your review. Your right, review. Right now? Back in 98, yeah. Okay, so you want me to do uh, Per Schneider in 1998, yeah? Uh-huh. Okay, The Legend of Zelda Ocarina of Time should be recommended playing for every aspiring video game designer and programmer mm. out there. If you're making games and you haven't played this game, then you're like a director who has never seen Citizen Kane. Or, or a gremlins. musician. Or Gremlins? Yeah. Or gre I forgot Gremlins. <laughs> or a musician who has never heard of Mozart. If you're a gamer looking for your next title to buy, then take it from me. This is as good as it's going to get for a long time. So I just learned two things about you. What? One, in 1998, you were much more German. Yeah, super German. Yeah, very, very German. Um, two, uh, a little prone to hyperbole, maybe, yeah, <laughs> in yeah. 1998. I, no, nothing well, has changed. that's one review where you go back and you're probably like, well, I don't really regret giving it that high of a praise. Yeah, like you'll go back to a review of like Shadow Man or something, and you'll be like, mm, I'm going to take out some adjectives. Which we also gave a perfect like, 10 No, to, we did but. not. Absolutely not. <laughs> so hey, do, so was this game not a 10 originally? It was a 10. Are you sure? Yeah. I wrote down here that okay. it's... So in our re-review on the 3DS version, our friend Rich George, friend of the show, he says in, in the body of his review, this is the first 10 out of 10 okay. that IGN gave. Gotcha. However, mm. Pear seems to disagree. Pear, tell us a little bit about Well, here's that. the thing. So IGN actually, uh, as a network, launched on the day the N64 came out. 
okay. which was the uh, release of Super Mario 64. Mm. And we had a different rating scale like uh, back then. We actually had little we had like little hats and star ratings depending on the website. And Super Mario 64 got a perfect rating at the time. Okay. In hats? Because I think it was five, five hats. hats. I'm trying to remember if it was ten or I think it was five what hats. What kind of hats are we talking? Mario well, hats. Okay. Yeah, and that yes. game was Mario hats. In this game, it's like little green floppy hats. There was no, there was no such thing. We changed the rating scale and we actually adjusted some of the scores back then. Nobody cared. Now people would freak out, of course, if you did anything like that. And right. There were no review aggregator sites. And so we uh, we actually, I think we gave Mario 64 9.8 um, in hindsight when we redid our scale for these, these really young websites. When Ocarina of Time came out, it was our first 10 because we had no other game in our record. In mm. our database that had 10. That had a 10. Yeah. yeah. But that's technically, cool. it's a little cheating. So 10, 10 with an asterisk. Yes. Yeah. yeah. The first 10 with an asterisk. Yeah, but right. still a, yep. a 10 out of 10 game. Yeah. Um, I, I wanted to start by talking a little bit about uh, our first experience with Ocarina of Time. Um, Pear, I feel like your experience is probably the most interesting because I feel like none of us were in the media at the time. Yeah. So we're going to... We're all little kids that got this as gifts. We're going yeah. <laughs> to wrap with you, but I'm going to start on the end of the table here with Casey. Yes, Casey, please. tell me a little bit about your, your first experience with Ocarina. Man, so... Backtrack a little bit. I had a Nintendo 64 specifically uh -huh. because I wanted to play Pokemon Stadium and Pokemon Snap. That's the only reason I had a 64. And I think for my birthday or Christmas in 1999, my grandpa gave me Ocarina of Time because it said like game of the had that game of the year seal. Mm. Um, and I had no idea what it was. I'd never heard of this before. I mean, I didn't re read magazines or anything. I was nine. Sure. <laughs> and I when I finally started playing it. I got hooked immediately. I got into the Deku tree um, and I got stuck. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I didn't know what to do. Mm -hmm. And shoot so, the ladder. And my friend, <laughs> yes, that was actually where I got stuck. Yeah. That's exactly yeah. there you where go. I got yeah. stuck. Put that in every guide. Yeah. And shoot I um, ended up asking my parents uh, for this strategy guide. Classic. Mm. From Nintendo Power, yeah. because my friends had Nintendo Power, and there was an ad for this in there. Okay. And that enabled me to get all the way to the Water Temple. Where you um, got stuck again. Where I got stuck right. again. <laughs> uh, Sam? What? All right, so I was a Mario kid. I didn't like Zelda because I liked Mario. I know that doesn't make any sense. But in my it's friend group, that's that was the situation. Yeah. So I didn't play many Zelda games. I played a little bit of a Link to the Past, like I rented it, played about half. Uh -huh. So I didn't play a Zelda game, and I, then I actually had stopped playing games altogether. Didn't have a PlayStation. Didn't have a Nintendo sixty four. Wasn't interested in games, and uh, went to a friend's house uh, who was home from college. This is my senior year in high school, uh, or maybe no, it was my junior year. What was it? Ninety eight. Ninety eight. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, and he came home and he had this game and I went, I was at his house with a couple other friends and we watched him play it for a long time. Mm -hmm. And the one thing I remember is running from Lake uh, Hylia, or Hylia all the way to Death Mountain mm -hmm. and just saying, like, look how big this game is. Like, right. that was the demo. Right. You know, and then, like, I thought right then there, like, I have to play this game and I have to get a Nintendo 64. And I did. Yeah. Like, that mm -hmm. sold me on it. That And I got way, way back into games after that. Mm -hmm. uh, but, yeah, it, it, it's d absolutely the game that, like, connects my contemporary, you know, uh, interest in video gaming to my childhood. There's a lot to unpack there with that sentence specifically, but we'll, we'll get back to that later. Um, so I, <laughs> I had tried several times to, to get into the Zelda franchise and just could, it just didn't stick. Um, the, the idea of like going anywhere, doing anything was like too obtuse to me, like growing up playing games that had like clear objectives, like run from left to right mm -hmm. or go find this thing. Um, so I had played, uh, Link to the Past and Link's Awakening, you know, the opening couple areas and was like, ah, I'm not into this. And so... Had you played a JRPG yet? 
No. Also, yeah. That um, must have been a, a big difference. Well, so I, I had stayed away from Zelda all the way up until 2002 when I was flipping through EGM and I saw screens for The Wind Waker and mm-hmm. the cartoon style of The Wind Waker, what like absolutely blew my mind. And I started doing all this research on Zelda and it looked so amazing that I was like, well, there's all these other old Zelda games. Wow. Maybe I should go back and try those. Gotcha. And a friend of mine had a 64. Like I coincidentally at the same time I had been at his house and he had his 64 in a box with a bunch of games and so I called him and I was like hey you still have that 64 in the box and he's like yeah and I was like he's gonna sell it and I was like can I just borrow it before you sell it I want to play this Zelda game I played through Ocarina of Time uh, front to back twice wow. and then I played Majora's Mask front to back twice so Majora's Mask yeah. was out by that time by the time uh, yeah it? yeah because this was 2001 mm-hmm. yeah 2002 maybe yeah and then uh, then I went back and played all the older Zelda games, and then Wind Waker came out, and I played Wind Waker. So I kind of went backwards through Zelda, but Ocarina was the first. Did you get a strategy guide? Uh, by this time, I could look up strategy That's guides. That's what online. I was thinking. Is that yeah. the internet? If I got I stuck, stuff. I could go to like game FAQs or yeah, whatever. Game yeah. Facts had game seven, facts. and IGN had facts at the time too. And I think a, a full strategy guide that you guys had worked on. We made a PDF guide. A PDF yeah, guide. that's right. Yeah. Uh, tell us about your your now you were at this point yes very much in the industry okay obviously like tell tell us about your first experience with Ocarina well how many yeah. years had you been so I had been probably at IGN for like a week and a, a year and a half or something like that oh, not yeah. a week and a half mm-hmm. so yeah. I know uh, you're over that now yeah <laughs> it's about the same yeah, yeah and um, you know obviously covering Nintendo as a beat with uh, Matt Casamassina at the time uh, on this this year website IGN 64 which had just changed its name from from n64.com and gotten rid of Mario hats and anything. That made it look like the official website at right. the time. People, people weren't so careful back then. And by the way, Matt wanted to be here, but he j- we just couldn't make the uh, the time work. So we'll we'll have to. Uh, Hopefully, we'll get him on at some point, though, right? M- maybe the Metroid Prime anniversary or something. But, but he very much wants to come on, so we'll do that. Cool. Uh, so this was uh, in early. First of all, this game was just the most anticipated title for anyone. The moment. Right. The moment you played Mario 64, you started dreaming about what a Zelda game could be like. I'm a huge fan of A Link to the Past. Before the release of this, my favorite game of all time. And so fast forward to uh, the launch uh, in November. In in early November, second week of November, Nintendo invited um, a bunch of journalists to Julia's Castle, this, this kind of like touristy restaurant mm-hmm. um, in the city. They were trying to theme their event, as you can tell, Castle, right? Right. What was uh, it called? Julius Castle. Julius Castle. Yeah, and so they were. Uh, they had 15 demonstrations set up. Mr. Miyamoto was in the room. His translator, Minagawa. Yeah, we Minagawa have some, we have some, you provided we, us with some stills we, here we that we'll roll. We have a picture well. from yeah. the event. And yeah. so the first they made us do this really dumb uh, like scavenger hunt through the streets of San Francisco. Did they make you mer- wear that in mock limo? turtleneck as well? No, that's that was the <laughs> style of the day. Look at Casamacino with his... Uh, that's a drug rug. His giant... That's a drug rug. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> are you guys that. in a limousine? We are in a limo. That's right. So the, it was the... Uh, the boondoggle that you don't see nowadays anymore, where they they just tried to put on a, a fun event. All we were thinking, of course, the entire time was just let us play the game, yeah. Yeah. right? Uh, and so you were supposed to find these people around San Francisco is cold, of course. The mm-hmm. city's not that warm in the winter, yeah. and like you'll see uh, some of the other photos, uh, they had placed uh, NPCs around the city. Not themed after the Legend of Zelda, but like a guy like looking like a wizard and like a Sir Lancelot or something. Just yeah. fan, just bare fantasy very, themed. Yeah. Very strange you know, stuff. Oh man. Here we go. Just anyway, some yeah, random like, w- wizard. Yeah. So of course we hadn't played Ocarina of, of, of Time at the uh, at the time here, 
Um, so we didn't know if this was actually a character <laughs> sure. that we'd find in the game, but the answer is no. <laughs> and so we called him Mr. Waffles. Uh -huh. um, so this whole thing ended up at Julius Castle. We got to sit down with 15. There were 15 demo stations. People from like uh, you know Game Informer and EGM and some some other uh, websites were there. There weren't that many websites <laughs> at the time, and we got to play this game for five hours. <gasps> All this Sir Lancelot. Yeah, I don't looking understand. good. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so, uh, yeah, five hours, if you think of Ocarina of Time, if you've never played it, you can imagine people got stuck in all the different, all, all sorts of different places. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you'd look over to the, the guy next to you playing, be like, hey, how'd you get the horse already? Right. Mm -hmm. And so kind of people were exchanging ideas. Mr. Miyamoto was walking around behind us, watching us play on the screen. It's like the most nerve-wracking oh. thing. And like, you'd go off in the wrong direction. He'd kind of like shake his head and go like... <laughs> You're yep. like, no, what, what am I doing? So that was my first exposure to the game. Do you remember where you got to? Did you get to talk to you know, Princess Zelda in the castle? Or? This is really well, cool. Yeah, Look at here's, yeah. here's Miyamoto holding your magazine, which so I think is wild. We only made yeah. one magazine. This was when uh, Imagine Media, our parent company, was thinking about creating an N64 magazine. It was just difficult to ma make this work as a business because mm -hmm. there weren't that many games, right? And you need advertisements. So we did a one-off magazine. Just uh, this issue. Yeah, just this issue. Wow. Um, I forgot I could have brought this on. I have it on my desk. It's right here. And we have yeah, it right wow. here. Cool. But, uh, I have it signed by Matt and Pear. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> I have it signed by Mr. Miyamoto. Yeah, you do. A little better. Um, but we'll yeah, see. we played for five hours, and it was just, we were all smitten. Everybody just wanted to keep playing it. They didn't give us the game right there. Oh, but instead, it arrived um, three days before it was out. We got mm -hmm. our copy, gold copy, and then... We just locked ourselves. Was in it room. actually exciting and fun to play oh the first God. time? Yes. Or it were was, you like more stressed? I just everybody's hands were shaking. Yeah. We were, we were so excited to play this game. Was and it would you play as adult link or child link or no, you started in the very it beginning? Was from the okay. beginning. Yeah. So yeah. you had to and get so, to the Deku tree. So you basically got to, to the castle. point where you'd switch over to adult link. I think I I think I got there a couple of people. Some wow. people just messed around. Hours, you think you got through mm -hmm. Jabu Jabu and everything? Yeah. That's but yeah. but people were helping each other because Jabu Jabu got complicated. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. a tough yeah. one. Well, guys, let's uh, let's talk about the development of this game. Uh, let's take, go all the way back to uh, 1998, 1996, even when they were starting development here. So, um, first of all, it had been five years since A Link to the Past had come out, uh, uh, or since Link's Awakening had wait. come out, right? And seven years since A Link to the Past. So, uh, people had been without a Legend of Zelda game for a very long time. So, as this game was in development and more and more news started coming out about it, obviously. Like Pear was saying, the hype was absolutely through the roof. Um, but specifically, um, the first time that people got a chance to look at it was this tech demo that was showed off at Space World in 1995. Yeah, there's no um, video of that. Uh, actually, yeah. we have video of Space World 1995 demo right here. Um, so is this, this, is, this yeah. is like Adventure of uh, Link, Zelda 2 Link, fighting a shiny <laughs> metal knight. Obviously not really... Yeah, I've only seen screenshots of this. Yeah. Not really anything that... We can run that again, but not really that anything really that, cool. uh, that um, looks like Zelda yeah. uh, Ocarina of Time. Ocarina of Time but looks just so that much shininess. better. Yeah. Yeah. This yeah. Was, the shininess would have been really impressive. So that's that was how everybody reacted to this. And by the way, I think during this time I was interning at the German version of Nintendo Power magazine. Oh, uh, yeah, in Frankfurt. Okay, I wanted to make a German joke, but I won't. No, but uh, but so this came out, and there was this tiny postage stamp yeah. video that everybody posted. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, yeah, this dark nut was super impressive. Just the mm -hmm. the specular highlighting, like the shininess of it. Mm -hmm. That's what everybody is talking. And about. the sparks too. Yeah. yeah. And then the ray, the rays of the the light in the background. Those are all things that are showing like, oh, the Nintendo sixty four has lots of power. But do you? Get, I mean, you see immediately why they'd use the metal too. Metal Mario in 
Mario 64 yeah. was also a like feat of graphical prowess. Yeah, it was like really impressive at the time. Yeah. And so that was like you know evidence. Well, it's funny because like, can you imagine? You're have not played a Zelda since 1991, right? Since mm -hmm. the Link to the Past comes out, and then this drops, and this yeah. is such a an enormous leap forward from what that game was. Mm -hmm. Like it's such a cool thing to think about. Like. People that were around and, and plugged in at this time and could see this must have been just so absolutely out of their minds excited for this. Right? I don't know who saw it, especially. Like, this is so it. unusual. To yeah, see this this, this was uh, and this was at the tail end of you know po polygonal games emerging in the arcade. So I think Daytona was already well, out. Tekken was Virtual but, Fighter, but you but yeah. you couldn't you couldn't imagine consoles being able to do this. Right. Everybody figured you need these giant hulking machines. What year yeah. was this? Ninety-five, Space yeah, World yeah. ninety-five. Yeah, yeah, virtual racing, virtual fighting, yep. and stuff. We're like on thirty-two X and stuff by then. Yep. Like just barely. Um, so this, what I did, what I, go sorry, go ahead. I was just gonna say, like the team that started working on this was like really weird, and it was <laughs> it was the it was the Mario sixty-four team. So the, which is what we call the R and D one now, right? And then uh, they had um, some Zelda people involved, and like one of the people that was most involved at, at this early state was the person that worked on Zelda 2. Yeah. And I was just like, I was just thinking today, like, what does this game have to do with Zelda 2? It's the combat. Yeah. Like, so this, I have what that, we're watching is like so Zelda 2. -like. I have that here. So Miyamoto has said that this game was originally heavily inspired by the sword and board stuff in Zelda 2, right? The idea of blocking and parrying yeah. your enemies. Mm -hmm. Um and you can see that because that link in that in this Space World demo looks very much like the link from Zelda 2, right? Like this is this is sort of his character design, right? Um, so one another thing that was really interesting about the development of this was that uh, this was not headed up by one particular director, right? Like they divided they this, that. yeah, they chopped so it up. This is the first time in the Nintendo history that they they developed uh, this game across five different verticals, right? They had five different directors, um, and that's uh, uh, one vertical was scenario and planning, so that's basically story mm -hmm. and like story beats, right? Um, and then this one's really interesting. Links actions and 3D improvements from previous installments. Hmm. Like, that's literally the name of the division that, that Miyamoto lines out in this GDC talk from 99, right? Yeah. And if you think and about, like, just making a character work in 3D, th this, like, after Mario 64, this was, like, the biggest change in how that worked. Mm -hmm. like, there just wasn't games doing stuff like this. Yeah, so. and they ran out of buttons, that, too. That team specifically, <laughs> totally that team specifically was uh, Miyamoto and uh, Yoshiaki Koizumi, mm -hmm. uh, who still went still on, doing still doing Nintendo, or still working for Nintendo, recently directed Super Mario Odyssey, yep. or produced Super Mario Odyssey, uh, worked on Super Mario Galaxy, but he came onto this team specifically because of his work on Super Mario 64. Um, and then you also had teams for 3D camera, 3D items, and motion capture. Mm -hmm. uh, I remember reading that the Ocarina of Time engine was built off of Mario 64's engine, but it, it just changed. Wasn't else yeah, oh, they it changed, changed everything. Yeah, it changed so drastically. Miyamoto said it, it might as well be a totally mm -hmm. different engine by the time they were done with it. Yeah, that's correct. Each one of these things, like the camera, even is so different from Mario yeah. 64, right? It was another thing yeah, that I, I read. He Miyamoto said that the camera in Zelda is built to focus on the world around you while the camera in, in Mario 64 is built to focus more on Mario, on the Mario. character. Right. Yeah. That's why you see such differing levels of control in those camera systems. And mm -hmm. we'll, we'll come back to that as well. Um, one thing that I did want to point out about the Space World demo before we're too far removed from it is that you know people got really upset when they showed off the realistic footage of Link fighting Ganondorf and then 
brought out the Wind Waker, mm -hmm. or when they showed that Wii U footage and then Skyward Sword was the Wii U release, right? Mm -hmm. Nintendo has a history of doing this exact thing yeah. with Zelda, mm -hmm. where they show a version of Zelda that is not anywhere near a final version yeah. or final design doc, because they're just, they know that people are hungry to see that, right? Yeah. And it's a good way to showcase what that system can do. Mm -hmm. um, so I thought that was really interesting. When I went back and looked at the Space World demo, I was like, these guys have been doing this for years. What's yeah. so funny is like how bad this looks compared to what an Ocarina of Fight combat sequence would look Ocarina like. Ocarina of know? Fight? Ocarina of Time. <laughs> uh, combat se sequence lo would look like. It's, yeah. it's so simple and the character models are so kind of crummy. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, I, I we're still excited. I mentioned Miyamoto's GDC talk uh, and there's one, one quote in particular. Now, I, I found this whole article on uh, IGN and it's really interesting because he talks a lot about Zelda but he talks a lot about just the, the early years of the 64 mm -hmm. in general. But he says, we designed the entire game by organizing these small teams and conducting tests to confirm memory size and processing speed. Let us recall Hyrule Field, the outset field, or the outside field from The Legend of Zelda. The characters that appear in the field all share the same RAM. So the following scenario, we have the great bird, Gabola, we have the skeleton, enemies, and then once the bird has left the field, the marathon man appears. When Link rides the horse as an adult, the only enemy to appear is the ghost. So the scenario is written to match these types of design specifications, right? So he's talking about like the way that the ram is parsed out across the fields as you're triggering different events, right? Mm -hmm. Like you're he's continually writing if-then segments that, that say, like, if you're on the horse, then only this enemy mm -hmm. appears. If you've already seen this, then this thing appears. Like, it's really, really smart design. And that's something that didn't exist before. And you can see the conservation that's required in this game because mm -hmm. it has a past and present or past and future. I don't yeah. know which one it is. Um, but that means that, like, you have to use the same spaces over and over again and change them up. And, and if you think about it now, they did conserve a lot by making the spaces empty when you come back as an adult. Like, that is probably more space-saving than anything else. Like, yep. it's pretty lucky that there is an apocalyptic event because you don't get to talk to any villagers in the future. Right. And your hometown is completely empty. Right. And uh, Hyrule Field has ghosts now. Mm -hmm. They, they had this, I mean, this this eco economy, basically, knowing what they had to work with and then building the game design around it and the graphics uh, around it. You, you can see when you play this game... Nowadays, we have these open-world games, and you've got you know complex geometry rendered even at a distance. I mean, look at something like Red Dead or Assassin's, Assassin's Creed. Creed Odyssey. Then you go back to Ocarina mm -hmm. of Time, you realize what they had to do in order to get even Death Mountain to show in the See distance. It right there. It's like it's a flat, mm -hmm. you know, it's a flat texture. You get closer, they do a different version of it. You get you uh, you you climb the hill, you get another version of it, and they place curves and corners in such smart ways that that you never you can never break the world it exists without them having to render everything mm -hmm. it's just it's so awesome well they, think about think so about brilliant. what a team like the guys and, and gals behind god of war this generation learned from the legend of zelda in terms of like you're riding that boat mm -hmm. and you're doing all these switchbacks in the water to let that next area load mm -hmm. this is exactly the kind of thing that you're talking about like in a primitive state 20 years ago yeah right i think it's really interesting. But, by the way i love who transcribed the person who transcribed this uh, gdc talk official person a gibola for the do uh, for the bird yeah yes. i said that and i yeah. realized yeah. the poor gabora yeah, yeah, exactly. gabora yeah. yeah um so one thing another thing that they talked about in this uh, gdc address was that how much epona changed the game um so epona was not part of the <laughs> this is a really great clip where he runs right into the wall uh <laughs> Opponent was not part of the original design documents, and they wanted to have a way to get Link around a little faster. So they they created the, you know they came up with the idea of like well what if he rides a horse? But they realized that the traversal was so fun and so fast that they had to build the game 
exponentially bigger to allow. Yeah, I've heard that from several sources. Yeah, that, to allow that making the horse was actually the biggest influence on whether they made an open area. Mm -hmm. And it's not really an open world, but they made open areas to accommodate the horse because that was so impressive. That's a very Miyamoto thing. Miyamoto, uh, Mr. Miyamoto wanted to put in uh, Yoshi in Mario 3, but was unable to. Or no, actually, going back to Mario 1, he always wanted Mario to, run to ride a dinosaur, mm -hmm. but it was just like you know physically limited. They just couldn't figure out how to do it. So like getting that in Mario World was a big deal. Mm -hmm. And then like... Clearly, riding the horse, just like riding the dinosaur in Mario, was just like a, a big fun thing that he wanted to get into. But it's so cool, too. When you first traverse that world, it seems just ridiculously big, right? Mm -hmm. it, is, it is a little empty. There's not that much to do. You see some of the, like, a, like the P-hat enemies, like, flying around and stuff. Those terrified me when I was a kid. <laughs> but, but it's like, but, but there's not a ton there. Yeah. And then you think about, like, oh, do I have to run back and forth every time I come back? And then you get the horse, and the world just kind of shrinks. Mm -hmm. it's, it's so cool. Well, it's, it's wild, too, to think about, you know, when I was first playing this game uh, in 90, well, I guess not until 2000, but even then, it felt so much bigger than any other game yep. world that I had experienced. Like, the, the idea that Hyrule Field stretched across, you know, this certain diameter and there was all these different areas that branched off of it, like... You said it's not an open-world game, but it's as close to an open-world game as we could have possibly imagined then, mm -hmm. and it felt enormous. I mean, to go back to it now, it's almost kind of silly like how how truncated it feels how small it feels but like there were bad open world games out then and there were good ones elder scrolls was already out by then yeah and that true. was an example of an open world game but this is like a game that made that it didn't need to be an open world like every i know hyrule field seems a little empty but like it'll everything that you can do on the sides of the the world is like so uh, built out and interesting, full of secrets and like, mm -hmm. cool things to discover. Mm -hmm. I just think they really made the world so, yes, there's one horse area in the center of Hyrule Field, but if you go into Kakariko Village, you go to the mountains, you go to the desert, like every little corner of that map has something cool to do in it. Mm -hmm. It's like great little playgrounds everywhere. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, so another source for, for a lot of this research was uh, the Iwata Asks uh, articles from around Those the time so that good. Mm -hmm. well around the time that Ocarina of Time 3D came out. Uh, he did a series of these Iwata Asks around Ocarina, and they talked a lot about different Zelda iterations. Um, but a few things that I thought were very interesting were some of the ideas that were scrapped from Ocarina of Time. So I wanted to bounce these off of you and get your your impression. So originally. Miyamoto was a little concerned that uh, the Nintendo 64 couldn't handle big outdoor areas. Hmm. So his initial design was the idea, the same idea as Super Mario 64. Link would be, the entire adventure would be take place in Ganon's castle, and Link would jump in and out of paintings, <laughs> and that's how he would navigate that world and how he would access different dungeons and things like that. And that's why we have the Phantom Ganon boss. Hmm. That's exactly yeah. what I was going to say. I was like, yeah, it's exactly the same. So that idea carried over from the mm. the very first concept of of Ocarina of Time. Do you think the Forest Temple is a prototype of that castle, and they just made it, it could into be. it? Can, well, can you be. guys think of another situation that's like Mario in that with the the paintings? Mm. If you go to the, uh, Princess Zelda's castle, mm -hmm. you're in Hyrule Castle, and you look through. Uh, this one window, you mm -hmm. can see a painting of Mario, Bowser. Oh yeah, and oh yeah, yeah, that's right. So yeah. they, they totally Easter egged that. Yeah, I forgot all about that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, another idea that was didn't make the final cut. Uh, part of the game could have been on rails. So I wonder what which parts of the games. There is a part of the game on rails, which is the um, the ship in the spirit, uh, not spirit temple. Oh yeah, yeah, that's oh, right. Oh yeah, yeah, I know what you're talking about. Yeah. Which is yeah. the spirit one temple. that's not the spirit temple. Yeah, uh, that's the one in the desert. Oh, I see what you're saying. Yeah, Shadow yeah. Temple. Shadow it's Temple. Shadow. Yeah. yeah, under the well. Yeah, like on mm -hmm. that. Yeah. And then it does that like elevator type scene where it's like mm -hmm. things jump in your boat and you yes. have to fight them. But yeah. yeah, there's barely anything on rails. And also, I, I read, remember from that same thing, 
could have been first person. Yeah. When mm-hmm. there's still like first person yeah. slingshots and I, stuff, but like, man, that would have, I think, just not worked. Yeah. No, I feel like they would have had horse stuff on rails, just like they had in like maybe crossbow training or something, where mm. you get to yeah. shoot stuff with bow and that arrow. That is actually yeah. in the Gerudo Desert, uh, the challenge area. Your horse, I think, rides on rails while you shoot the. You, you can control it. Yeah. Oh, you can yeah, yeah, control yeah, you, it? You can go back okay. and forth. That's yeah. really difficult. Yeah. Yeah. The idea of playing this whole game in first person is. Uh, uh, wildly uncomfortable to me. Mm-hmm. Like I just think, like a, I don't think that the Nintendo sixty four is powerful enough to like have an entire game in first person like mm-hmm. this early. We, I guess we got Goldeneye, so maybe See, I'm but, wrong. But I then, but you pre- you conserve. You don't have to render the character in that case, mm-hmm. so it might actually be a little easier to do. You know, you wouldn't get to see hunky yeah. adult Link. Yeah. That's true. Yeah, he was he was a stone cold fox. Yeah, that's true. Uh, speaking of not being able to see. Um, Adult Link, here's the opposite. One of the ideas, uh, originally this game was designed with Adult Link in mind only. And uh, one of the things that, that's sort of notorious about Miyamoto is that he loves to change stuff in the 11th hour. Um, and he asked the designers, well, what if we played this from a child's perspective? Mm-hmm. Like, what if instead of this hunky Adult Link, mm-hmm. we got like a child version instead? And so they kind of rescoped everything, made a child version of Link, sent him out into the world, and Miyamoto liked it so much, he was like, okay, well, we'll start the game here. You'll start as a child, but then you'll also play as the adult yep. version of Link. And like that, it, that was not planned from the start. Like, no. how weird is it to think like this whole game is about time travel? It's well, about this like it's yeah. really like well done that way too. Mm-hmm. But it's just like but, let's just put it together. But like, we have it. a Link to the Past had the uh, the dark and the light world stuff, which this game echoes obviously. Uh, like it could have been close together. Like you could have just traveled between two dimensions. So I got to think they had the idea of having two different worlds. Two mm-hmm. different timelines, but not actually have you grow up uh, and old. But like it becomes a limiting factor. Like you can't ride Epona when you're a kid right. and all of that, right? Until Majora's Mask. And yeah. it's also, um, I guess, an example of one of the reasons why they didn't want to make cutscenes from scratch. They just wanted to generate it from the in game mm-hmm. assets because then Miyamoto would be like, actually, I want to change this. And then. You have to start all over again. Right. It's it's. I mean, these are these are some some cool things that got scrapped. There were, you know, at the time we were getting um, screenshots of this game before it was out, and one screenshot and even some footage uh, showed um, Link with the Triforce. Mm-hmm. You guys remember that? So I don't. There was a shot from Ocarina of Time where he actually gets the Triforce, which isn't in the final game, and it sparked just years of conspiracies that it was in that. there and you could get it and all of that. There's all these the, fake fake things about getting the track. The, there's also a shot of Link in the Lost Woods with like polygonal trees. It looks kind of janky and a Poe holding a lantern. Mm-hmm. So there were like these areas that they kicked around that just didn't you make know, it in. The Triforce is not in it, but the R-Wing is in it. The R-Wing yeah. is in it. That's true. Yeah, yeah Sam Yesterday. Spent, Sam spent a, a, a Are you good gonna unlock chunk it here? of his day. Uh, no, I, I don't have the Game Shark in here. But I did, I, I did figure out how to unlock... Uh, with, with people's help on the internet, uh, uh, the R-Wing and the Kokiri Forest. And it's incredible. So I'll, why is I'll the R-Wing in video, there? I'll video about it. That was a neat part of de- development. So uh, Z-targeting, which we haven't talked about yet, uh, was yeah. one of the most unique things that this game had. Like, how mm-hmm. do you lock onto an enemy and make it, mm-hmm. you know, at least able to be hit mm-hmm. by you in a 3D world with no other stick to control your camera. So they made Z-targeting, and you could lock on. And to test that, they put in a little R-wing to fly around. Mm-hmm. So you could target it and shoot it with your slingshot and bow and arrow, or maybe bow and arrow. I've never played as adult Link there. But you can definitely hit it with your boomerang, and you can take it down, and it goes down out of the air, and it crashes. It cr- it's like it, fully animated. With flames. And like it shoots, at you and shoots takes lasers off, at you, uh, yeah. Hearts. That, that is still in the game code. With a game shark, you can unlock it. I'll write up little instructions for you to all try it out. You can also try it out if you have an action replay with the Master Quest version. Can you believe they left well it in the GameCube. 
Yeah. It's really funny too it's because cool. like when you when you come out of your hut, like it just responds if you go into it, like yeah. into your house or, or come out of it. And when you come out, you get a little cutscene of the Arwing like taking off over the the, the village. It's <laughs> mm-hmm. really funny. And Star Fox sixty four had come out by then, so yeah, there was it come the out. It come out the early year, yeah. yeah. And I had people earlier. yesterday just come by uh, our desk and they were all playing it like in a little line mm-hmm. to like play that that little cutscene. It was a really magical moment. It's really amazing. It's when Sam booted up uh, Ocarina of Time yesterday and the menu music started playing so many people around the office just congregated around <laughs> like the TV. A yeah, yeah. Like, uh, this one this music it's so low yeah well you heard it, probably heard it was it so chill this was such a different title screen from any other game on the market it was all chill and yeah. calm and everything else was like rah, rah, resident evil and 2 then, and you know? then you get that one glimpse of the of twin rova in the spirit temple like the oh, last total spoilers temple yeah issue. oh yeah yeah, yeah. I was, it's funny because like sam asked that we set up this tv and just kind of have the the title screen on loop here while we're talking about it and it dawned on me as we're sitting here that i don't think i ever just let it play oh i think i i, I did after yeah. su- after super metroid which gives you hints yeah you and i'm like so Nintendo surprised at how much of the like late game they show in the mm-hmm. title screen stuff yeah. like yeah the, yeah so it's, it's pretty wild so you mentioned um link to the past a minute ago mm-hmm. and one of the things that I think is really interesting about Ocarina is that it takes um, it takes a lot of the ideas and a lot of the themes from from Link to the Past and fleshes them out. It adds you know more um, more thoughtful story. Uh, it does the same like duality like light world dark world thing in the the form of like um, the present and the future, I guess. Mm-hmm. Right? Um, do you feel that it's kind of the same treatment as uh, the original Legend of Zelda to? A link to the past or Metroid to Super Metroid because like Nintendo has this like early history of kind of redesigning remaking their games until they got it right and then moving forward from Ocarina of Time you get this like sort of remake of Link to the Past and then every game every Zelda game after that it's locked in very much based on Ocarina right yeah. so yeah Zel- I mean Zelda 2 is really the fluke in that whole system yeah. like a lot of games have and, and even before Ocarina of Time and Link to the Past, you had, you, you had games like Final Fantasy where the world transforms significantly when there's like a, the apocalypse happens. And so that we have seen that theme in a lot of Japanese games. Mm-hmm. And so it, it was kind of expected. Um, Did you think but, it was too much like Link to the Past, though? No. Because that is it, a criticism of so, this game. So in, in hindsight, you can see it. But when you play it, that step to 3D is so significant. It mm-hmm. feels so different. It was just like when you played Super Mario 64. Um, Super Super Mario World before it and, and um, you know, Yoshi, it was all about precision jumping, like jumping right at the edge right. and like running fast and all that. You can't do the same thing in Mario 64. And so they designed the puzzles and everything very differently in that game and the way you do acrobatics and like backflips. And Ocarina of Time was the same way. They took some concepts, like you don't really use your jump button in Link to the Past. Right. You know, there's no there's no feather or anything in that one. And uh, so they did the same thing here. But because you're in 3D, I felt like everything changed. It feels so different. It's You know, thinking back, that was a huge criticism back then. It's like, oh, yep. you can't jump on that game. Oh, yeah. I don't People are pissed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Because of Zelda 2 and, yeah. It's not even a, a thought in my mind anymore now. Yeah. I just Occasionally some of it. the automated jump stuff does get a little bit. It game, does. Yeah. It, it would have been nice to be able to jump, but they probably also thought it would break the game in certain areas. Yeah. You well, know? You, I mean, so Mario is a different game, right? And mm-hmm. like that's about your character and, and acrobatics and moving around. But this is more like a game like Tomb Raider. And boy, did Tomb Raider fail at that one thing because it gave you a jump button <laughs> and it gave you tank controls and like the precision to move around 3D space. 
And you can see why that doesn't work. And so you I mean, premeditate your jump in Tomb Raider always, you know, always, yeah. yeah. And you have you just it's like Prince of Persia or something. Yeah. So you have to, this game is like just really really conscious of not letting people screw up their 3D space, but yeah. letting them explore it still. Mm -hmm. And even though you, and, and what's weird is that the levels are so vertical, like Death Mountains, like temples, like you just go down, 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 or just the Deku Tree and, in the very beginning. Right. And and there there's like there the components of the levels that are vertical too, right? Mm -hmm. Like solving the same Central core of the fire temple, yeah. Um, like the the stairwells in the uh, in the forest temple, and like how you twist rooms and stuff. Oh my gosh, All of yeah. that stuff you couldn't do in two D, and that's why I felt like this game didn't feel like Link to the Past when you played mm -hmm. it, even though it had a light and a, a lot of the board. same. Yeah. yeah, you really feel a three D world, and that you got around it, and you didn't need a jump button. Like mm -hmm. I, that's like kind of mind blowing when yeah. you think back on it, because like n every game had a jump button. That's how you explored. You mm -hmm. jumped. Yeah. yeah. So we, we've kind of lost the, the thread here. We, we kind of jumped around to a, a bunch of other stuff. We were talking specifically about the development, but that takes us right up to the release of the game, right? Mm -hmm. So we're talking about, uh, I have the date written down, uh, November 21st, 1998. So uh, prior, to the Nintendo, prior to the launch of, the, uh, of this game, Nintendo 64 was desperate for first-party support. Mm -hmm. um, a lot of people had... Um, yeah, kind of talked about Zelda in a way of like, okay, this game needs to be a hit. It needs to be like a tremendous success um, in order for the Nintendo 64 to survive. Um, Star Fox, you know, Sam, you just pointed this out. Uh, Star Fox and Mario had come out before. There was a couple other first-party games that had come out and been successful. And this had been a year delayed. Like, yeah. it was supposed to be out the year before. Right. So the, the holiday 98 season, mm -hmm. like, needed Zelda so bad for Nintendo did. Um, and so that resulted in basically, like, a full-on media blitz, right? Yeah. Um, commercials were run inside theaters, which was sort of unprecedented at the time. Here you can actually see, this is the um, 3DS version of the original TV spot, which I thought was really clever. They, they redid they, they the redid original. The original TV spot with the 3DS graphics, mm -hmm. but for all intents and purposes, this is basically the TV spot that ran uh, in theaters. With the Conan score. With the, the music Conan from score. Conan. Yeah. yeah. Um, it, it showed up on the cover of IGN 64. It yeah. showed up on the cover of, uh, obviously, Nintendo Power. Uh, Next Gen uh, is here. We should show that off, EGM. too. But EGM. Yeah, obviously, uh, full-on media blitz. And the result was uh, 500,000 pre-orders replaced to the extent that that outlets uh, or stores had to stop pre-orders. They said, yep. okay, we can't do any more pre-orders because we don't know that we can fulfill all and these orders. of course, orders. the pre-order version was the gold version. Yeah. Right. And that's... That number is more than triple the pre-orders for any other previous game ever. No no other pre-orders had ever topped that much. Uh, it wound up uh, 2.5 million copies sold in 1998. And keep in mind, this game came out in November. So that means that in 39 days from release to the end of the year, it sold... Two and a half million copies, which is absolutely crazy. How do you think Call of Duty did that year? <laughs> $150 million uh, made in less than 40 days. Um, Sam, you wanted to talk a little bit about the actual release versions, but before you jump into that, I did want to read this thing. So um, this is another IGN article. Peter Main, uh, the uh, EVP of Nintendo at the time, he said this three weeks prior to launch, and it's like almost prophetic to me the way that, that this reads. He says, Zelda's popularity will be based on its ability to morph the definition of a traditional role-playing game into something entirely different. By combining an engrossing RPG storyline with unprecedented real-time 3D graphics and a huge dose of adventure, it represents an experience with immense appeal to game players of all ages and all skill levels. In short, we expect The Legend of Zelda Ocarina of Time to reinvent this generation of hardware much the same way that Donkey Kong Country did uh, six years ago. It is four years. Uh, I'm sorry. Donkey Kong Country did for 16-bit games <clears throat> four years ago. It is prophetic. Yeah. But you'll also notice a theme there. He brought up RPG a couple of times. Yeah. This, so was, silly. this was on purpose. First of all, 
Ocarina of Time is an action adventure, mm -hmm. right? It's not a, what we consider to be a role-playing game. The genres have kind of blended nowadays, yeah. and it's difficult to tell them apart, but it was very clear that this wasn't a stats-based game and about, like, you know, developing your character, unlike Zelda 2, which is the only RPG in the series. But what Nintendo didn't have on the N64 was the biggest genre in Japan. And the month before Ocarina of Time came out... What's up, in you don't Japan, like 64? No, <laughs> neither did Japan. They had lost Square Enix support. Mm -hmm. Atlas was barely there. They had lost, uh, I mean, Square and Enix, two different companies mm -hmm. at the time. So Final Fantasy and Dragon Quest were gone. And so they played up the RPG-ness of this game so much. And the month before o Ocarina of Time came out, uh, in Japan, they were discounting the N64. It actually hit $100 in yen. So that was re a really low price because they wanted to move units and they were banking on this game. So they even brought down the price. Hmm. But uh, obviously it did well. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> it, it went on to become a tremendous success. It's, uh, to, this, to date, it's the number four best-selling yep. uh, game, not of all time, but on the Nintendo 64. But the Nintendo 64 is still... Trailed the PS, yeah, for sure. Like the yeah. PlayStation, just just really. Took that was off. a big deal because here, the, Sony was a newcomer. Mm -hmm. and Nintendo had ruled the market, certainly in Japan with the Super NES. Yep. Yeah. Uh, Sam, tell us a little bit about these three release versions. Yeah. That so you brought on to as of like two weeks ago, I've tracked down the three versions of Zelda that exist out there, and they're shorthand known to known as the version 1.0, 1.1, 1.2. And uh, you can tell, and uh, this is for collectors only out there, if you pick up a copy of Zelda and you get the cartridge, if you look at the back of it, and you won't be able to see this unless you really zoom in, there's a little number right here, and it's embossed. It's actually pressed into the sticker. And on this one, it says 19. So there's a number, and then there's, uh, for the other versions, letters. So if you have a, a copy that just has a number, whether it's gray or gold, there were gray copies, I think, with the number. I'm pretty yep. sure. Uh, that means that it's version 1.0. And that has uh, all of the best glitches in it. So all the <laughs> things that speedrunners really like, the way to like break this game the best and, and stuff like that, that's all in that version. Uh, the Fire then, Temple chant? Is it that's all in there. And, and so yeah, there's a couple um, things they took out that might have caused a controversy eventually. But it's important to point out, they weren't controversial. Like Nobody brought this up and said, we should take this stuff out. And that is uh, that there's a chant in the Fire Temple that's from a, a sample CD that was out at the time. It was, they were allowed to use the sample. But it had... Uh, uh, it's Allah is great. It's a religious chant, yeah, Muslim chant. And it's it's kind of processed and weird, and it sounds like uh, you know, like this echoey mm -hmm. yeah. chamber of voices. You can barely hear what it, what it's saying, and if you know what it is, you can identify it. Though, so they took that out for subsequent versions, and um, and, they, and I, as I said, there's a lot of bug fixes, and but that wasn't quite out yet. So then they put out 1.1, and 1.1 they did, uh, which, which that's all the bug fixes. But 1.2, that one is the one where they had all those things taken out. And mm. they had that taken out, and then they had uh, Ganon's blood Ganon's changed blood, to yeah. green. That's right. Yeah. I remember and then that. Some people will tell you they changed Link's shield, which actually has a, a crescent moon on it, but that wasn't until the Ocarina of Time 3D version. Okay. So there are three versions, and the way you can tell is that the first one has a number on it, the second one has a number and the letter A, mm -hmm. and the third one has a number and the letter B. And so if you find those three versions, they are you know pretty fun to play with and different. And the game chart codes for each one is, are different as well. So I got another one for you. So the, the one the box in front of you is the Japanese release. And Such the a pretty Japanese box. version had a, 
a, a really cool cover, that cool. silver cover. Yeah. So what if you put this Japanese version into a Japanese N64 and you put the 64DD underneath mm -hmm. and you boot it up, it'll say, please insert the Zelda 64DD. Disc. So they included So this the had the hooks for the, the game that never came out, which, mm -hmm. well, it came out as Master Quest, but right. there was supposed to be a 64DD version of Ocarina of Time to add on and remix the quest. Mm -hmm. And so this game still has the hooks in it when you plug it in. There yeah. are a bunch of rumors saying that Master Quest wasn't what, I, th I think it's called like Uda? Uda Zelda yeah. is. Uda Zelda. Yes. Yeah, that Master Quest isn't really what Uda Zelda was yeah. supposed to be. It was just the bare minimum that they they took to make Master Quest. That's right. So, so that... That's not what I heard when oh. I, when you know they're I, super they're very rumory. Yeah, so I I remember uh, speaking with Nintendo about this Uda Zelda, and we were we were obsessing over this, mm -hmm. and they they kept on whenever they spoke in English they called it another Zelda, mm -hmm. and then when they spoke in Japanese they called it Uda Zelda, which is Uda is a Japanese word for you know other and like mm -hmm. kind of like Uda Waza is like these these secret little things in in video games, and they said they wanted to create something with the 64DD where first of all if you dropped something it would stay where you put it. And oh. so, you know, because the 64DD had a writable disc, you'd be able to have a more persistent world. And that's where the original Ocarina of Time came from. It was supposed to be a disc game, too, right? Mm -hmm. um, and it was supposed to have these persistent things, but they specifically talked about remixing the items and the locations in every dungeon, which is exactly what Master yeah. Quest is. Right. So, mm -hmm. I, but, but the first thing you said is not in Master no. Quest. That, I mean, I think that's interesting, yeah. that they wanted to play with the 64DD like hardware, yeah. and that's not what we got. We just got like a shuffle dungeon game, yeah. which yeah. I love. But there's also cows. And more there's cows. Ca there's yeah. cows. Jabby 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 Jabby. Jabby. Uh, okay, let's take some time to talk about the actual game itself. We've yeah. talked about development. We've talked about the release. Um, oh, I, I should also mention that, uh, that upon its release, obviously, it got perfect scores from uh, so, so many outlets. Let's see. I wrote it down here somewhere. Everybody. Um, yeah, it was uh, Fam uh, Famitsu, Edge, IGN, GameSpot, EGM. Like all these outlets gave it perfect scores, and mm -hmm. it's still the highest rated meta game, uh, highest rated game on Metacritic. How did a PlayStation Magazine like it? PlayStation Magazine gave it a zero out of ten. <laughs> did yeah. not appear on PlayStation, <laughs> uh, unfortunately. So, Sam, you brought up Z targeting, which <laughs> to me, this is absolutely insane to me that this didn't exist. Like, the, this is the one thing that mm -hmm. this game does that to this day you can find this in every single game like this is the legacy of the legend of zelda ocarina of time to me like and you need it for this boss well oh, yeah, yeah this guy for sure <laughs> but i mean i'm talking about any game that you play any action game that you play today um dark souls assassin's creed odyssey uh red dead like well maybe not red dead but any of these games have this exact concept, and it did not exist before Ocarina of Time. Can't understate the importance of Z targeting. It, it was a very simple version. It was Mega Man Legends, which was was released before this, I think, but, but was, was the bad. same but, year. But was shown after Ocarina of Time was shown first, and right. the the Z targeting. Mm -hmm. It has a you you stop in place when targeting. Right. No, this was really like I I looked this up uh, back then too to see are there any games that did this and nothing did it, mm -hmm. nothing did it, and then every game did it afterwards. Sometimes automatically when you get close to an enemy, you always circle strafe about around them, like basically replicating what a fighting game would feel like, right. a virtual fighter or something of the time. Did you guys change the the type of it? One of it is just I think you just tap you it and tap it. The pro mode, yeah. you hold it. Yeah, yeah, yeah and the other you can hold. Yes. Yeah, I. Which I can't remember which one I used. I, yeah, love I always held. Yeah. 
Yeah. It it's makes nice sense because you can unsnap and run away. Right? Yeah. So one really cool thing about Z-targeting, and this goes back to Mario 64, is that in Mario 64, in order to explain the camera to you, Nintendo created a character, yeah. Yeah. right? Yeah, they got the lackey two floating behind you with a camera. And so they basically say, oh, what you're seeing is actually the camera broadcast from this character. They did the same thing here. Navi is your lock-on. Mm -hmm. And so Navi will show you things that you can lock on by flying into the space. And when you don't have Navi, you can't lock on right. things. So it's, it's really clever. Hey, mm -hmm. listen. Um, <laughs> classic Zelda setup carried over from uh, uh, Link to the Past, and that's three dungeons to begin with yeah. that open up into uh, several more dungeons, right? So you start off, Child Link has to tackle the Deku Tree. He's got to tackle Lord Dodongo's uh, Cavern, and he's got to tackle uh, Jabu Jabu, which, Ooh. by the yeah. way, <laughs> everybody talks about how the Water Temple is the worst, it's uh, not. The worst it's uh, dungeon. It's not. It's tricky, and it's cumbersome. Jabu Jabu is the worst one. What about that mini ice like, dungeon? That one sucks. I like that one. We have to, the blocks yeah. get too You like much. that one? Yeah, where you're like slipping the and sliding. The ice dungeon's always annoying. I, I actually really like the ice cavern. Yeah. The yeah. I like the I ice like wolves. Yeah. 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 White wolf ghosts. Yeah, that sound is great. Yeah. 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 Um, and then after that, obviously, it opens up into uh, the forest, fire, water, shadow, spirit dungeon. Um, and then and I, I say Ganon's Castle is a dungeon. Yeah, there's many dungeons as well. I like to classify Ganon's Castle as a dungeon. Some people yeah. say that that's not the case. Yeah, there's Bottom absolutely. of the Well. What yeah. else is there? There's a couple. Bottom of the Well is really crazy. Ones, that was but. cool when you walked in and all that crap flies out of the well. Yeah. Like the, the black like, smoke And it does like a first-person camera thing. Yeah, it's, it's a really cool cutscene. And that was one of those unexpected events. Mm -hmm. You know, that was a major thing to happen where you thought you knew this place. You went in and out so many mm -hmm. times and then suddenly something changed, mm -hmm. which yeah. is... That happens in so many games nowadays, but it's just that that didn't exist. Back so then. not having played Link to the Past, that twist of n of having more game after the first three was like my most memorable experience of that game. Mm -hmm. Like I couldn't believe how big the game was because they teased me with the first three. But yeah. everybody else had already experienced that with Link to the Past, and I had too, but I completely forgot like that yeah, was the structure. Somehow I had managed to avoid knowing too much about uh, Ocarina of Time, and going into the the Temple of Time pulling out that sword and then there's that cutscene where it like cuts to Link as an adult seven years down the road is like what's happening? Like, this is <laughs> totally unexpected to me. Like I didn't know that this was going to be the case. And so I think that 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 was really impactful for me. That moment where it was like, oh, this is a whole new rule set that I, I, you know, I get to play the second half of the game. Well, yeah. more than second half of the game with. But um, I did want to talk about a little bit about what everybody's favorite dungeon is oh. and what everybody's favorite boss is. Easy. Hmm. Yeah. So go ahead. Forest Temple. Forest Temple, Forest Temple is so yeah. good. First of all, how you get into it you is a so puzzle. Stuck in that temple? Your You're crazy. I got I got so stuck on the <laughs> oh. Forest Temple because one of the keys yeah. is oh. in a chest outside the temple, yep. which is so annoying so, because you can make it so far. It's the it's just the it's the uh, entrance. It's the spill room. Yeah, mm -hmm. the spill room. It's, still it's like part a, a of foyer, the house. if you yeah. will. Yeah. Think, no, there's think a couple about of them how, like that, like under the. T tunnel but go ahead think about how this dungeon communicates like it, the challenge it's like you walk in and it's basically like the beginning of pac-man you have like four ghosts like disappearing that's true into that's all the corners of the dungeon and so your mission is very clear is to find all four and then you start exploring you're trying you're trying to figure out how to get through this but it has the coolest puzzles it has the twisting room where you shoot the uh, the you, which you looks like like a cool hitchcock effect yeah and like burp. and peter um, jackson kind of took that yeah. in lord of the rings later then it has a uh, 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 rooms that you turn on its Side. It has an outdoors area with. It water actually has a ceiling that mashes you. Yeah. yeah. In the base, the, the that room was 
scary. Yeah. <laughs> and then, that room. Yeah. And then it had this really kind of creepy music and atmosphere. I just think yeah. it's still one what of my favorite dungeons. What are those guys dungeons. called? Room masters or something? Uh, oh, the, the floor masters? The floor, well, there's floor masters and there's also their ceiling masters, right? Oh, that's the ones that drop and grab yeah. you. Mm-hmm. But that wasn't in that's they a take forest you temple, was it? Forest yeah, the forest yeah. temple. And they forest take you out of the dang temple. It sucks. Yeah, It has everything. One of them's a mini boss, and when you hit it, it like, Breaks up into a bunch of little, little hands. hands. Yeah. God, that was I like all that. If you have that fire spell by that point, that's yeah. so satisfying. Just be like, bah! And Sam, then, what's your favorite dungeon? Well, no, and then the, the, the just the the pose were so cool. Oh, and like, you know, and you like the boss fight, yeah, there too. And you get the bow and arrow there, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, that's mm-hmm. a good one. Uh, my favorite is the Spirit Temple, and for the same reason yeah. I had already mentioned that. Really uh, so I love how the game expands in the way mm-hmm. it does. But there's a second expansion for me, at least, in that you have been to all the areas, and then you go to all of them as an adult. You go back to Lake Hylia, it's drained. You know, you go back to the graveyard and it has a dungeon in it. Mm-hmm. But this is a new area that you haven't seen. And there's an area before that. You go to the Gerudo Temple uh, village, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. the fortress, and you, you save those uh, poor trapped uh, carpenters. <laughs> and then you cross a desert, and then it opens up, and there's mm-hmm. like an oasis with like a giant colossus. Coolest part of the game. It yeah. looks so good, just the Colossus mm-hmm. there. Well, it's yeah, not only that, but it's past and yeah. future. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. It's like dungeon. it's the only dungeon that really utilizes that time swapping mechanic. Mm-hmm. Uh, that it's the last dungeon, and you have to go back and forth and solve it as an adult and as a kid, which like works thematically, mm-hmm. amazing. Mm-hmm. But also, I I remember even the first time I played it, I was like, I wish they would have done this more in the other dungeons. Like, mm-hmm. a, like it made you switch back and forth between the two eras. Um, that because made it so unique. That made it so yeah. cool and special. And it, uh, it was wonderful. It also has my favorite boss. Twin Rove is my favorite boss. But yeah. well, Casey, tell okay. us about your favorite. Um, again, my forest. The Forest Temple is also my favorite huh. dungeon in that game. Uh, I also, as I mentioned before, really like... I didn't know like, there's so much love for the Forest Temple out it, there. So good. It just has really interesting mechanics, and the puzzles in it are so varied and unique and mm-hmm. interesting. Even even that last room before you get to the Boss Temple is a mini puzzle in itself. Mm-hmm. Where you have to rotate the room and find all these different treasures. And yeah. one of to find the last ghost, or to get it out, rather, you have to do a sliding block puzzle to make a picture. Like, there's right. just yeah. so many... And you had to you had to shoot the ghost in the painting, too, and yeah. go up and down the stairs. That's right. right. <laughs> yeah, there were so many cool, interesting things in that temple, and it just makes it memorable. And even the music today is still super memorable music. Like, I've used it for, like, Halloween Those, like, weird background screeches. Yeah. Yeah. And videos when getting there is fun because it's like one of the earliest places in the game, and you go through the little maze, (laughs) and then there's like the the giant guy in the future, right? It's like bam, yeah, bam, Uh, moblin. No, wait, is that in the past? I think that's in the past, actually. Yeah, that's. Um, but then, then Saria is back. She's like the only person left from the original village, which mm-hmm. I thought was like really cool when mm-hmm. I first played yeah. that. Mm-hmm. You talked to her, and you're like, I've been here before, though. Mm-hmm. Now there's a dungeon right there. I yeah. love that feeling. Same with the graveyard. Yeah. Uh, Pear, you wanted specifically to shout out to uh, Phantom Ganon as your boss fight, your choice for Oh, favorite my favorite boss? boss? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and like Twin Rova mechanically <laughs> is the coolest just because of the the elemental uh, yeah. stuff in it. It's so cool. But this was just visually such a cool sequence that you see a boss in the room, and then first of all, it's like it's not him. It was a bait and switch, right? right. It's a phantom mm-hmm. ghost version. And that he rides into the paintings, and you have to kind of pay attention to your environment yeah. in order to figure out where he's coming from. It's just visually that so Z cool. button. Choo, choo, yeah. choo, to this. turn around really fast. And so you had to, yeah, you yeah there to, you like, go. He's doing it. <laughs> you had to like look, look at where. Where he's coming out from, and then shoot him with an arrow. Oh yeah. no, that wasn't Trying him. To track oh, him man. down. There you yeah, go. Yeah, 
It's a little unwieldy, but it's so yeah. so cool. I died on that boss. I remember yeah. how hard it was the first time, not not, not being able to figure it out. Yeah, mm-hmm. this was this was the first time, uh, <laughs> the first enemy in the game that I died a lot on. And like going back to it now, it's crazy like how easy it is to get mm-hmm. past the, any of these bosses. But this one, I specifically remember having to fight multiple multiple and, times. And while so many video games of this age were like trying to go to 3D, but not quite, didn't quite make it. Like think of Crash Bandicoot. Mm-hmm. It's polygonal, but it's all just it's like every platformer before it's just not as good um, <laughs> in this game they said this game is in 3D so there's a guy floating around the room and you're going to uh-huh. hit back the beam at him and you're going to lock on you have to find him like all these elements that should not work as well as it works yeah. right well the and it's, it's wild too because like <laughs> you fight this boss so early on in the game and then hours later, this mechanic is how you defeat the final yep. boss. Like, and this you, is the one thing that Nintendo does. I think Navi's telling and then you they, maybe. they bring this back too. Have they had yeah. they ever done this before in a previous Zelda? Unfortunately, game? if I had played Link to the Past, I, I would have known yeah. that. The, yeah. So it's like the, the final boss, you do that exact thing in it. And again, like that's now can be mechanic. considered a criticism of this game. But I'm glad it was a surprise for me, and it should be a surprise for everybody mm-hmm. that, that played it at the time. But it wasn't. Uh, you just mentioned uh, Twin Rova in the Spirit so Temple, good. which is m- my favorite boss. The music, uh, too. Yeah, the music is amazing. Uh, the The battle itself, I think, is so, so clever just in that... For people who don't know what right, that is. So that's, it's, you, basically, it's twin sisters that are flying around attacking you at the same time. And so one sister is an ice elemental, one sister is a fire elemental, mm-hmm. and they shoot their, their like ice and fire beams at you. And at this point in the game, you have the mirror shield. So what you have to do is bounce the elemental, like the ice elemental, onto the fire boss and vice versa, right? So mm-hmm. you can only damage the bosses with the other boss's weapon. Mm-hmm. And it's such a clever twist on the way that every dungeon works in that usually you're getting weapons throughout the course of the dungeon that, that allow you to take out the boss. But here you have to turn the boss's weapons against them. And I think it's so, so smart and so fun. And like, I wish that the 3DS version had done like a boss rush mode because oh, I would man. I would love to like go back through and fight a bunch of these bosses but this one by far like it's just a, such a that fun was, fight and so challenging that was one thing that Majora's Mask did that I really appreciated and that you could just go back into the boss rooms and re-challenge the yeah. bosses mm-hmm. as many times as but, you wanted but Majora's Mask recast the sisters yeah. as good good I people too them. they're the yeah. sisters out in the swamp yeah. Yeah. yeah that is really funny see that, there's the, cool that is. there's the yeah. swap in action yeah, yeah. again yeah. You couldn't do this in a 2D game like Mm-mm. this. Everything was centered around this 3D viewpoint. Uh, Sam, uh, why don't you tell us about your favorite boss? So in, in the middle of the water temple, you walk into a room, and there's like finally like a little bit of peace and quiet. And it, But it's not a room. It's like a, a, a giant uh, empty you know skyscape with a little little tree in the middle. And as you can see, that actually doesn't happen until a little bit later. At one point, you can't figure out how to get out of the room, and then you turn around, and there's a freaking shadow version of but, Link. But your shadow, disa- your reflection disappears. That's right. Yeah, you yeah. see your reflection when you enter, and then suddenly it's gone. And some people notice, some people don't. Yep. Yeah. I love that. It's a it's a great little trick. I don't know why it's in this temple. It's super cool, and it's a really fun fight and hard to, hard to yeah, beat really, when you don't know what you're really doing. Difficult, yeah. And now I know that because I've beat Zelda two in the past couple of years that that this is the you know a boss in Zelda two. I think it's the final boss. And uh, what's really funny is that that little <laughs> like uh, I love that he does the little jump off into the ground. I think that's really great. But Shadow Link is just so fun, and this is like the fr- frustrating thing you get into where it's like they program this to like if you are. Not knowing what you're doing, like you just have to swipe over and over again. It's really funny. It's, uh, he, he copies your moves, so yeah. you got to I mean, figure out how to find. This is your mirror image. That like, reflection 
is like that was graphically seriously the most impressive thing. Like I would just stare at this room. Mm-hmm. It looked so good. I don't know why that looked good to me, but like it this it is does. for some reason a graphically impressive. And also like it's 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 impressionistic. It's not realistic. Yeah. It's like it doesn't look like anything. They they artistically designed this to look cool. This player's strategy is not sound. No, he's, he's just matching just the hacking, button, which yeah. means Darkling just copies everything. Right, yeah. and then it turns into the room like it's a holodeck. Yeah, oh this gosh. this temple also had the abyss enemy in it, right? Yeah, like the uh, that, yeah. it's an amoeba. So yeah, from the abyss. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. It's like water. the big yeah. moving water. Uh, Casey, not Sorry. at all surprised by your pick here. <laughs> what is it? Uh, oh, it's a. You got a little dragon enemy that Casey yeah. picked as her favorite boss, but actually, so, <laughs> this was a this was a close call between oh. uh, uh, yeah. Volvegia and, and Twin Robo for me as well because this is an awesome boss fight. I also really love Phantom Ganon, but I figured I'd talk about something different. Yeah, um, Volvegia, the whole battle mechanic is like a dragon whack a mole. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I that was interesting yeah. to have. It's to, humorous. Yeah, you get to use a giant hammer to hit a dragon coming out of a lava hole. It's a subterranean um, dragon of fire or something, but. He so he didn't do it really quick enough if you're watching the video, but if you hit the Volvagia's head fast enough, like as soon as he comes out of the hole, um, he just goes right back in and then ends up flying and you get to shoot him. I love and the flying part. I just really like the design of the boss. I think it's really cool. I mean he's like a fire mane and horns. And Nintendo has repurposed this design in to a character for Hyrule Warriors, which became a very prominent character in there called Volga. Mm. And it's like a humanoid version of Volvagia, and he's able to... So like Bowsette? Uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah, just like that, Sam. <laughs> and no. like it's, it's like a Chinese dragon design, right? Yes, Which we've seen in Breath dragon. of the Wild as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good point. I, also I love like, his fire hair. It's cool. It's so, yeah. cool. It's so sad when he gets knocked out. Like yeah. He's also such a huge enemy. Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. it's such an insane thing. I remember the mm-hmm. first time I played this game, just seeing the scale of this enemy kind of, you know, crawling across the sky like that. It was just like, how am I supposed to take this thing out? Like, this yeah. Dongo's really nuts. big, too. Yeah. Totally. That was another this, one. This I boss, liked the Dongo as well. Like, throwing, the, throwing bombs the into Dongo the mouth was or something. Great too, was just, yeah. <sighs> All the bosses have those little funny subtitles. Mm-hmm. Isn't that a great touch? They, they almost it's sound like, like the wrestler intro. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I added them to our run of show, so we could. Did you? We, yeah. Which one? Which it? one is this one? Subterranean lava dragon. There you yeah, go. Sorceress <laughs> sisters, twin Rova, evil spirit from <laughs> beyond, Phantom Ganon. Isn't I like that, that great? One a lot. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and also, it, it kind of goes without saying that this game, uh, maybe even more so than other Zelda games, just absolutely chock full of secrets. There's so many weird things to do and find, like be it the the uh, giant ghost pose that that wander around at night, mm-hmm. or um, all the skulltulas, you know, the trading sequences. That was the coolest thing, having to find all the spiders. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. and like for you mentioned Red Dead Redemption earlier. Uh, you know, if if you play a game like that, you will notice elements that go back to this game. Like mm-hmm. in Red Dead Redemption, if you're looking for legendary animals and you're walking around and you find a sign of an animal, usually poop. It will rumble. The controller will rumble, which is a concept introduced by the rumble pack rumble in pack. Ocarina of Time. The rumble where you stone. had this stone of oh, agony yeah, stone where of you agony. Uh, you could use the rumble to find secrets. Mm-hmm. And again, that nobody had done the, done that. Nobody had thought of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think uh, my big takeaway from this game and why I loved it so much at the time is that it is a world that's full of secrets, and they encourage you to find them in such fun ways. And I always think about the first time I was in Kakariko Village. Um, Every person you talk to has like a little quest or something that that's interesting. But you also know somebody's like, "Hey, gather these chickens for me," right? Mm-hmm. And it's so fun. Yeah, yeah. The, 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 it's almost classic. like the town is built just for that. Yeah. And like any other game, I'd be like, "Oh my gosh, I'm not going to collect these for you," but they're hard <laughs> to catch. 
they're in really clever places. And as you the explore, box. like one is and they let box. you fly. Yeah, box. yeah I was yeah, gonna say, yeah. Imagine, yeah, exactly. imagine my surprise the first time I jumped off something high holding a chicken, and yeah. I could glide halfway across the village. And you like, can get over the fence that way. Yeah, that's mm-hmm. one of the ways you get a heart piece. And when you get over the fence, and when you're like, looking, you're like, can I get in the windmill? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Can I get on top of this tower? Like, oh my gosh! Like, I it, messed it just, around with as soon as that opens mm-hmm. up, you're like, I want to explore everything. I messed around with those cuckoos. A lot, yeah. trying to get places I shouldn't be. <laughs> the uh, whoever wrote this por- portion of the so- show just put beans in all yeah. caps. <laughs> and that. that wasn't and me, was that you? That it's was things. It's hard to remember that people don't remember this. Like there's oh. there's actually beans, magic beans you buy and you plant that to was get to really cool places. Flying. So that was the coolest. Leaf. Like one of the coolest things to me was like the because you're wandering around as childling for so long. And you see these little patches, and yes. you can't figure out what it's for. And then, like, you put the bean in there, and like a tiny little sprout comes up, but nothing happens. And he goes, ah! "Yeah." And it's like, "Well, that was a waste of rupees. Like, why did I do all that?" And then going back past them as an adult, and you see these lily pads that mm-hmm. levitate you up to the next area, mm-hmm. just blew my mind. I was yeah. just like, yeah. "That is so cool." And there's hidden secret stuff behind them. And then the g- graveyard. The graveyard is oh, so great in every, every Zelda, Zelda game. Yeah. And like in this one, you actually have lightning hitting the, yeah. the gravestone, if you remember that. Yeah. And like it's raining and miserable. It's so freaking awesome. Yeah. That, uh, that grave that has a heart piece, if you play, as, I think, the Sun Song at the end, but that's full of it's creepy. Re-deads. The redeads. Yeah. I, could, I couldn't that's do it. I went and I was like, I'm not, I'm not doing this. And then I was a baby and went and got my dad. And I was like, Too Dad, spooky. you have to get through these yeah. redeads. And he the just entry ran to uh, Dante's tomb with candles. I remember. Yeah. Yeah. So when my daughter played that game, she <laughs> always gave me the controller the moment she saw a redead. Yep. Yeah. Like, and then they chomp on your head. Yeah. It's gross. Oh, yeah. Um, I just mentioned a few other really quick things in here, the in, in secrets. And one thing I wanted to bring up is the uh, uh, gossip stones. Yeah, because mm-hmm. that's like the little patches of dirt in which you like you see them, and you don't really know what to do with them. Yeah. And you can do a lot with them. You can bomb them, and something happens. Can like fly the yeah. You can put bugs in that, and they just go away. Like, yeah. You can interact with all of these things, and they're mysterious. It's not like the game is like one day we're going to tell you what these are for. It never tells you what they're for. <laughs> yeah. It's just nonsense. It's like goofy, <laughs> weird stuff. Yeah, I love, I love that. They laugh. They give you clues about uh, different things that you can do. Like they clue you into different stuff around about the game that you would never be able to find if just on you your get own. the mask yeah. much later mm-hmm. by doing a crazy mask mission. Right. Thing. That like- crazy mask mask mission is called Majora's Mask <laughs> on uh, Nintendo sixty four. Yeah. Comes back. There are so many. Th- Link, you were saying there are so many secrets and different things that you can do that don't really matter. Like, you can steal the fisherman's hat mm-hmm. with your fishing pole, and then he mm-hmm. just never gets it back. He's just bald for the rest of the game. That's pretty good. I didn't know you could do that. Yeah, you can yeah. Fish, fish his hat away. That's pretty good. And uh, <clears throat> about the beans, like, if you plant one on Death Mountain when you're doing the bigger on yeah. sword side quest, mm-hmm. that's a great shortcut to get up yep. when you so your right. potion doesn't expire, your eye drops, rather. Yeah. But there are just so many little things that you can do to make... It more interesting and fun. Did you break Bigoron's sword too? That was a huge shock for me. I, oh, so you broke it? I didn't know that you could get Big Goron's yeah. sword until years after I had played the you, game. You can't initially. Play big, break Big Goron's. You sword. can break the second one, the oh, second sword. Yeah, one of them breaks right, like before it is fortified. That's in Majora's Mask. Oh, that's in Majora's. That's what it was. But okay. it, that's a great sword, and it yeah, sucks yeah. having to have a fragile sword through it. It has like two hundred hits or something like that. Uh, Nintendo would bring back the idea of a fragile sword yeah, in uh, Breath right. of the Wild. <laughs> many, many uh, times. Yeah, seriously. Uh, no, Big Gorn, you do start with a broken hilt. Yeah, that's and, what it is. And yep. but it's just like this whole trading sequence. It's, that is the most ridiculous side quests. It oh, yeah. It's not re- The most ridiculous chain. It involves so many people across so many... Have you played, have you played Link's Awakening? 
No. That's got probably it. one of the craziest that's where the trading quests. Yeah, that's one of the yeah. craziest trading quests because you got to talk to like a crocodile and like give him a can of beans <laughs> or something. It's crazy. There's a, uh, like a goat that's in love with a person. Yeah. Aww. You meet like a little uh, chomp with a bow, a bow on her head. Yeah, there's yeah. a chain chomp in it. Straight um, up chain chomp. We got to talk a little bit about the story. We're, we're running a little long here. This is a jumbo sized episode. But uh, mm-hmm. uh, so I'm sort of of the mindset that most Legend of Zelda game stories, like, okay, it's fine. Um, this one was the first Legend of Zelda game that I feel like actually had a, a real dedicated story, right? Like, it took some of the ideas from A Link to the Past and fleshed those out and, like, you know, introduced the Chamber of the Sages. It uh, really went back to uh, explain what the Triforce was. Um, there's actually only, only about an hour and a half of actual story cutscenes in the game. Um, but one thing that Casey mentioned earlier is that uh, they're not CG cutscenes. They're not pre-rendered cutscenes, and this was by design for Miyamoto because mm-hmm. he uh, he a he didn't want to take the player out of that world. They also he didn't, didn't want, have any space left, right? That well, he didn't want FMV characters to look different from yeah. the way that that they looked as you were playing them, like you would see in say Final Fantasy VII or something like that. Um, but also, and probably a bigger reason that he addressed in the Iwata Asks uh, uh, series that I read was that he knew that he would change something. He knew that he wanted he would come in in the eleventh hour and change things, and he wanted to have the ability to change things in cutscenes as well. And if cutscenes are pre-rendered, look, Sam's on and, the screen. Yeah, there's Sam. If they're shipped and they're ready to go, he can't go back and change them because that's like weeks and months worth of work that he'd mm-hmm. have to retcon, right? So, yep. I thought that was really interesting. Um, this is from uh, uh, Anuma, a quote from. Um, I forget where I found this quote, actually, but uh, he says, while a lot of people say that the, they like the epic story on the level of the script, the story actually isn't that epic. It feels epic because of everything you experience within the, uh, within the game is added to the story. Mm-hmm. So that kind of goes back to the idea that like, the, there's really only 90 minutes of cutscenes in the mm-hmm. game. Everything else is the, the sort of inherent player-based story that you're telling yeah. yourself. And right? it's a simple, it's a very, very simple story, right? Mm-hmm. Compared to Majora's Mask. Or, or think about, you know. like, compared to something like Skyward Sword. Yep. Or, or um, to a lesser extent, Breath of the Wild. Mm-hmm. But, like, Skyward Sword, to me, felt like something where they're just, like, ham-fisting this story. Yeah. Very, but also had one of the best story beats mm-hmm. in the series, right? Like, Ocarina of Time doesn't have those moments. Right. Like, uh, there's the moment of surprise if you didn't guess it for Sheik, for example. Right. Right. I, my, like the that was spoiled for me. Uh, I, I thought Sheik was his own person this entire mm. time. And my friend's like, oh yeah, Sheik Zelda while I was over at her place playing. I was uh, like, what? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was like, no. That's so mean. <laughs> I had That's no a idea. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Miyamoto is sort of famous for talking about how he he doesn't necessarily think that stories work in games like they, they don't really necessarily have like a huge place in the way that he designs games. I agree. Um, yeah, Sam, you're you're kind of that same way. Like you don't really care about stories in games. For I the just most don't think ga- games are the place to tell a story. I think they're bad at it. But yeah. I think the, you can still enjoy it. And I respect you if you enjoy a story mm-hmm. in games. But I don't think that's what I get out of them. And I'd rather watch a movie or read a book. Yeah. yeah. Like I always think the the Rockstar games do a really good job telling a story. Yeah. Because they play a bunch and of movies for you. No, but <laughs> yeah. but but in a smart way and it's it's engrossing. But take something like Shadow of the Colossus where the story is just mm-hmm. kind of implied. I I really like that stuff. And mm-hmm. Ocarina of Time succeeds on that level. But I'm super connected to this story. Yeah. Like I, I I love I love it. Mm-hmm. I love yeah. like the I like it because it's character-based, and there's a fantasy world that's different than anything I've ever seen. The the characters are different, and the world is different. The fact that you bring up the characters, this game, and and even more so Majora's Mask, is a game that like lives and dies by its characters, and it's this 
kind of insane world of these like kooky characters. And one thing like that Miyamoto the, uh, talked about... Link's Awakening is like that, too. Yeah. Mm -hmm. While making it, this is a quote from Miyamoto, he says, while making the game, I noticed I didn't want to tell a story so much as I wanted to have pe a lot of people appear around the main character and portray their re relationships. Some years back, this is hilarious, a television show called Twin Peaks was popular. And when I saw that, the most interesting thing wasn't the ins and outs of the story, but what kind of characters appeared. That's right, because so, like, nobody understood the story. Nah. <laughs> but like, if you think about... Twin Peaks, the characters like the log lady mm -hmm. and uh, you know the detective that loves Duck pie Daddy. and like yeah all these guys right like and then you compare that to like the happy mask salesman mm -hmm. and Dompe the the graveyard tune, uh, keeper it's like, a perfect comparison it's great yeah. like it it makes sense on so many levels there's all these weirdos that you meet throughout the course of this game that add so much flavor but don't necessarily have anything to do with the overall story even the, the construction plot, workers like. are unique right yeah. that you're meeting I love that one guy that runs town. like this mm -hmm. yeah oh. Yeah, he's and great. they have a he has a son who doesn't want to be a construction worker, yep. and he gets like cursed and ends up in the forest. He's part of the trade quest yeah. later with a poison mushroom. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. it's really spooky and weird. Do, we, I, do you find out what happens to him? Because when you go back to give him the cure, the Kokiri lady is there. Oh yeah, that guy died. Yeah, <laughs> it's pretty tragic. Yeah. Oh no. Yeah. What about that weird dude who dances? Yeah, the, the dancer. No, there's a dude who dances. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, there's a dancing guy. But the couples, right? No, there's like there's this weird like yoga that's on, dude. That's in Majora's oh. Mask and the Mushroom. Right? Yeah. There's a there's yeah, another yeah, dancing yeah. man in uh, uh, Wind Waker as well that teaches you the uh, the Sun Song. Oh, the Elvis guy. Yeah, yeah, he's great. No, they've they've got weird side characters in this series yeah. that are just very memorable. There's a mad scientist. Oh yeah, always in the in uh in the like area. Yeah, and then later he's in the. I guess in Majora's Mask, he's in the observatory. Is that right? Yep. Yeah. That's all yep. really cool. Um, and, of course, all these weirdos and all this these plot twists and stuff are uh, underscored by uh, Koji Kondo's amazing, incredible score. Um, probably one of my, if not my very favorite score in any game to date. I wish, in retrospect, that it was instrumental, like instrumentally mm -hmm. more sophisticated mm -hmm. because it is... Sounds like cheesy and midi, well, it's midi like yeah. now, but I I absolutely like know every song in it, and they are I've always played in my head. I just know them all. The so the title what theme, the title theme itself, uh, just booting up your Nintendo sixty four and hearing those mm -hmm. those kind of sparse piano notes at the beginning, yep. and then the flute comes in, or mm -hmm. I guess it's the ocarina, right? <laughs> but um, a lot of these songs have been reworked, and and uh, I know that there's orchestrations of them out there now, mm -hmm. and they're. Phenomenal, just beautiful, but, beautiful uh, uh, pieces. But even every little ocarina song is yeah. unique and memorable and fits the locale or whatever it does. Yeah, absolutely. And it have to be played on six notes. Yeah. yeah. So That's you can five notes. It's so five notes. Well, those songs, yeah. But with the ocarina in Ocarina of Time, you can alter the notes that you play based mm -hmm. on the mm -hmm. control stick. Mm -hmm. It's a whole so, toy. Yeah, it's really interesting. So, for example, like this guide that I got came with the notes to play Kakarika Village. So you can play the mm -hmm. entire theme that plays in Kakarika Village with your ocarina. Nice. Yeah. There was a there was a uh, a long period of time where as a young musician, uh, my friends and I obsessed over the idea of learning like popular songs on mm -hmm. the ocarina mm -hmm. in the Ocarina of Time. Just trying to play like dumb Blink-182 songs yeah. or whatever like on the ocarina. They sounded terrible, but it was a lot of fun. Because you can use the pitch bending of the analog yeah. stick and mm -hmm. do all kinds of crazy stuff. Yeah, for sure. But, but it's interesting that now like Song of Time and uh, and uh, Zelda's song, Zelda's Lullaby, mm -hmm. those like super iconic songs, those are just variations of three notes. Epona's song, yep. Um, those are just three notes, and mm -hmm. they're, they're oriented in different ways. Like mu musically, that's like really interesting that they made the all these songs from basically like a very basic scale. Yeah. yeah. 
super Spe- cool. Speaking of basic scale, I'm pretty sure my Scarecrow song was like all up C. Yeah, I'm pretty I sure I just like jammed on one note. I did back and forth. Yeah, that's pretty good. Did you guys write a Scarecrow song? Yeah, I did. I actually have it written down in my strategy guide. You wrote in your strategy guide? The only place I wrote it. She's a guide's writer. It's the only place I wrote in it. Where is it? Yeah, that's really funny. It has. Well, you gotta memorize it. Yeah, so this has space for all of the songs because this was like a kind of do-it-yourself guide a no little way. bit. No um, way. You're supposed to write down the songs as you learn them yeah. in this uh-huh. page, and they have a little spot for the, your Scarecrow song, and that's, that's where really I wrote cool. it. So I wouldn't cool. forget. I didn't figure that out until way late into the game. Like yeah. The Scarecrow oh, the, you song? I couldn't figure out the It's crazy, and then yeah. the use for it is like even crazier. You can go yeah. back into Dodongo's Cavern yeah. Like yeah. At, 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 as an adult and like use it in a back corner and get like you know a sculpture out of it. Yeah. 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 You know what else is totally obscure in that game is the song of time when there's like a song of time block that mm-hmm. you can move. Yeah. Like the only thing they tell you, they don't tell you anything. It's just like, I think it has the symbol of the Hyrule mm-hmm. castle. Yeah, or that's something right. On yeah. It. yeah. Like, how would you ever know to, we, to play that song? Those were the places where I got stuck where I was like, oh, you got to play, you got to stand on the seal and play it. Yeah, like, and the seal yeah, too. Yeah. Yeah. Um, we are shortly running out of time here, but I did want to talk about uh, sort of the lasting legacy of Ocarina of Time. Uh, to this day, 20 years later, it's still number two on our greatest games of all times list. Uh, we updated that last year, mm-hmm. moved some stuff around, but uh, Ocarina clocked in at number two. Now, I'm personally, I'd put it in my top five. I think my favorite, I don't think, I know that my favorite Zelda game is still The Wind Waker. I, I love nice. The Wind Waker. Mm-hmm. But that's a variation on a theme, right? Like, I feel like essentially every Zelda game that came after Ocarina of Time was just a remake of Ocarina of Time with one or two new mechanics or a different art style or you this know, something so like that. This looks so good on Wii U. I cannot yeah. believe how good this looks. I wish they would bring it to Switch. Switch, come on. Yeah, I wish they'd bring this Me to Switch. Me too, because Man. you know what they did with the Wii U version? They made it so you couldn't invert your controls, even yeah. though that's yeah. the way the game was originally played. Ooh. Yes, oh I'm salty. <laughs> um, you always like invert? The I always invert, invert because Ocarina of Time, you can only play inverted. I guess I forgot about that, so. which is weird because I never play anything inverted. So, um, um, I want to talk to you guys a little bit about what what you think about Ocarina's impact on uh, subsequent Zelda games. Obviously, Majora's Mask is like this direct sequel, uses a lot of the same assets, but, but so it has different. a totally different feel and a totally different um, theme and and mechanic. So, so. So the biggest thing, and this obviously didn't come out of Ocarina of Time, but Ocarina of Time wrote the 3D template, was this setup um, that the games would continue until Breath of the Wild, where mm-hmm. uh, you go into a, you figure out how to open a temple, you go in, you find an item, that item is used usually to escape that very room that you found it in, and then the boss, boss uses the mechanics of that item for you know to teach you how to use it for the future right so it had kind of like this very confined setup of he figure out how to do all these cool puzzles here's the tool and then beat the boss with it and a lot of games follow other games followed that too and that became this template and i was really glad to see it broken with breath of the wild yeah but at the same time i miss the concept of having these boomerang puzzles and these hookshot puzzles like yeah i really like that about these games there's a there's a uh vocal contingent now that Breath of the Wild has been out for a while that uh, of people that are saying now saying oh, what will, what if Breath of the Wild's actually bad because double hook not, shot because it's not like the old old versions of Zelda um what about you guys you have any any thoughts on subsequent Zeldas and and Ocarina's impact on them I think Ocarina was bad for the series like I think it's my it's my favorite Zelda game and like I love it um I I really wish the series had not taken away the bad parts of it 
which are like let's lock like just what Paris saying. I don't think they should have taken away like let's do this exact style of dungeon from here on out, mm-hmm. and let's take the these not an open world but like a series of interconnected you know, places hubs and, yeah. and hubs and make that Zelda. Like I'm so happy that Breath of the Wild broke out of that. Yeah, me too. Like, mm-hmm. But but Breath of the Wild still is doing the same thing that Ocarina did. It's just which is like changing. You know, from 2D to 3D, that jump mm-hmm. was as big as uh, Ocarina to, to Breath, Breath of the Wild. Wild for me because of the because of making an open world work. Mm-hmm. Like that jump was so crazy huge, yeah. and I'm so happy it did that. Um, but I'm I'm sad that after Ocarina was the exception of the Game Boy games and Majora's Mask. I think Skyward Sword and Twilight Princess were just really the wrong direction. Yeah, I'm not I, a huge proponent I, of either. I really, really love Twilight like, Princess. I love Twilight Princess yeah. as well. Skyward Sword, I had issues because of the gameplay. It's better than you remember it. If you go back, it is because I loved they it at the time. Used the, just like, they used know. the motion controls. Uh, and obviously, that those are each game has a unique element. And it's mm-hmm. usually centered around the overworld, right? And they didn't want to repeat themselves after Ocarina of Time. Uh, and Majora's Mask with this kind of two worlds in the same place and you use a horse to get around. And so it's almost like every game had like the MacGuffin. It's like, now you have a ship. Now you had a train. Now now you have a bird. And they kind of... I, I felt like Ocarina of Time set that up, and then they repeated that. Link to the Past didn't have a horse or anything like that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I do wish they had broken out of that. But I think Twilight Princess is just this... Twilight Princess is almost like Super Smash Bros. Ultimate. It's like everything from the series in one place. And you can ride a... You, you have a canoe, and you have a horse, and you have all this stuff. And you I turn really into dug a wolf. That <laughs> and you turn into a wolf, right? Um, but I hear you. I, uh, you know... I, it's it's cool to see the series change so drastically, but part of me thinks, oh, wouldn't it be cool if you had Breath of the Wild, but now they reintroduce some of the temples and the concepts of items into it. Mm-hmm. I want to go in the water again. I want to put on my iron iron boots and walk on the bottom of a lake. Yeah, I think rebuilding this game in a bigger, better way using Breath of the Wild would be really fun. Mm-hmm. Like yeah. a mod of, of this game, Breath of the Wild, that's not just the same Hyrule Field, but Hyrule Field is interesting and big, but it's just like the dungeons, and I love the characters and stuff in this game. They're so so remarkable and cool. I'd love to revisit them. And Bring back the mirror. Like I did, way. like, in Link to the Past, I loved going between the two different worlds anywhere. Mm-hmm. Like, once you get that power, you yeah. didn't have that in Ocarina of Time. It was tethered to the growing up mechanic and putting yeah. the sword back and everything. Yeah. You always have to go back to the yeah. temple Yeah, time. it gets a little... Uh, cumbersome. Um, let's talk a little bit about Ocarina's impact on on gaming at large. I, I thought this was really interesting. We interviewed uh, Dan Hauser in 2012. That's Rockstar's vice president. Mm-hmm. I said we, but I, I don't think this came from an IGN interview. Uh, he said uh, back then, anyone who's making 3D games now and says that they've not borrowed something from Mario or Zelda 64 is lying. <laughs> so I think that's pretty telling. <laughs> like This game clearly redefined the way that we thought about 3D open worlds, the way that we thought about action, uh, action adventures, uh, the way we thought about combat in games. Uh, we we've kind of covered this earlier in the episode, but is there anything else anybody wanted to say in terms? Which of just like created the horse mechanic you use in in games like The Witcher, right? Mm-hmm. Somebody, yeah, The Witcher's horse is dumb. Somebody no, no but somebody Shadow of the Colossus. Somebody would have figured out to do horses in a game sure. like Ocarina of Time eventually, but. After after Ocarina of Time showed how it was done, everybody's like, "Yeah, you walk up, you hit A to get on, and you know you hold button to get off, and you can jump over things if you go fast enough." Like all of those mechanics are present now, still, right. and they they're almost implemented the exact same way. Uh, yeah. You guys have any thoughts on that? About what other games learned from this? Game? Yeah, 
I mean, it's really funny that there's the, the term Zelda like took on a different quality after this. And like, there's games like Beyond Good and Evil mm-hmm. that just mm-hmm. like directly Dark copied Siders. this. Dark yeah. Siders, Siders. but not too many of them. Right. Yeah. And even though this hard. game was yeah, exactly, yeah. Yeah. even though this game was so influential and cool, there's not a lot of games like Ocarina of Time, except for other Zelda games. Mm-hmm. And I think that's like that's pretty interesting. And I, and I think it is because it's hard. I'm yeah. trying to think Expensive. of other other games now that have that besides Dark Siders. Like, would you consider like Prince of Persia? Mm. Uh, it's yeah. a little bit too too actiony. Yeah, like I mean, it feels almost like the modern assassin creep games are closer to this. You know, like they I reintroduce some of the puzzles and yeah. the pyramids. And I also know. got I honestly got a lot of Zelda vibes from uh, uh, God of War earlier yeah. this yeah. year. Oh yeah, I God felt like God of War felt mm-hmm. like almost a, a more of a classic Zelda throwback than yeah, yeah than a God of War throwback. Based, but mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 Yeah, it, it's it's hard to not hard to play a game and not see the influences nowadays. Mm-hmm. And like people, game companies, I'm sure when when Mario 64 came out, I think a lot of developers said thank you for figuring out this damn camera. Because if you go back and play games like Jumping Flash, where you're navigating, Ooh. it's first person, but you're navigating these these Platforms 3D environments, and, yeah. like you just fall because you can't tell where you are. Yeah. And this game, these games just set. Set developers up for success. That's mm-hmm. a really good point. I, the the 3D of these games is also, for me, very revisitable. Mm-hmm. Like I can, I have no problem with Mario 64, and very little problem with this. And I've heard people say like it's hard to go back and play Zelda, or if they're playing it for the first time, it's weird for them. Mm-hmm. So I've but been like, working man, through. I picked it up yesterday and just went yeah, exactly. I did everything I needed to do. I've been so working easily. through this game for just to play it for the 20th anniversary, and it's been since the 3DS version was released. And I I will say I don't think that's it's a, it's aged poorly but it certainly shows its age in the fact that it's it's very slow it's very like not tedious but like you have to go back to the temple of time to like change between your two forms like you got to do all these block puzzles like there's there's things that are like very of an age and that that's the only thing that like really encumbers counterpoint does have the shortest intro that's true it does have fast fast travel travel. yeah Yeah, with the uh the songs and it's the shortest intro to any zelda game yeah, that's true too. You are in a dungeon, and like right it's away. like time to dungeon is like yeah. five minutes. Yeah, game. Link to the Past is the same way. Super cool. You go straight into the castle, like right from the outset. Yeah, um, a little sword. Yeah, but it I, got I, it got away from that. After yeah, that. after that's that. what was disappointing. So I I think we would be remiss, and I don't want to spend too much time talking about all the timeline theories that have come out of this uh, this this particular game, like Ocarina of Time is the game that is um, the sort of genesis for all the timeline theories. And at the time, it was the earliest game in the series. It was supposed to be like the first, right? Um, But the idea that uh, you've got these different endings based on whether... (coughs) Excuse me, whether Ganon won, whether Link won, right? Splinters the Zelda timeline. Ultimately... Miyamoto says, "I wish people would just stop talking about the timeline. Like, <laughs> nobody true. cares. Like, it's he not a big deal. Like, it shouldn't. You shouldn't worry about it." Mm-hmm. I spent years obsessing over the timeline in the Zelda series after Ocarina of Time because it was interesting to me and it yeah. added depth and lore to a series that doesn't have a ton of that. Um, but as the older that I get and the more Zelda games that I play, the more I'm like, I don't care about the timeline. It doesn't matter when these games I, take place. I really think the only Zelda game that matters in the timeline is Skyward Sword because that that's just the explains very, very first one. what yeah. the Furthest back in the past that right. happened. I, I like when they reference each other, even though they're they don't look the same, right? Like the way you find the castle in Wind Waker, for mm-hmm. example. Even though that's really cool. It's a completely different take on the on the legend. Like that connective tissue is really cool. I wish they had taken care from the beginning to tell stories that link together. Mer. Nah. But um, no, I, the the stuff though that I do like is like uh, in Twilight Princess when you fight the skeleton, you're like. 
who is yeah. that, right? Like mm-hmm. just the the little nuggets that they they put in these games well, that yeah. could be connections. Since Twilight Princess is just it's high rule. It's laid yeah. out almost yeah. exactly how Ocarina of Time is. Yeah, it's very mm-hmm. interesting. Yeah, but then also like Sky, uh, not Sky, sorry, Breath of the Wild takes that and turns it all on its ear yeah. because everything from every Zelda game is in that game, mm-hmm. right? So it's like this weird amalgamation of all the different games, almost like they're kind of looking at it like just put them all together. It doesn't matter. Like here's the Zelda multiverse all in one, you know, area. I think that's really interesting. Um, we saw a couple of reissues of this game. We talked about the Master Quest. Um, we haven't really talked about the 3DS version very much, but um, the 3DS version to me is the definitive version of this game. Um, it streamlines a lot of the sort of clunkier mechanics of uh, menu navigation, uh, map stuff. It looks great. Like it's a beautiful, basically reskin. Um, mm-hmm. They it's funny because this game looked this way to me as a kid. Yep. But going back and playing it on 64 now and seeing like how low res it really is. Link's got a funny nose. Yeah. It's kind of baffling, but then you look at the, the 3ds version and the 3ds version is, uh, link is so much more animated. There's so many more textures. Like it's, it's such a prettier version of this game. It Um, looks good in 3d. It looks good in 3d. Yeah. Yeah. It's a great game. Uh, yeah, and they, they streamed like there, there were a couple of uh, places where people got stuck. One was uh, uh, the area where you're supposed to uh, meet someone behind the village, mm-hmm. and uh, she only shows up during a certain time, and like people got stuck there, and they kind of ironed out some of those rough edges mm-hmm. and made it a little bit more intuitive. So it definitely is a better version of the game overall. Mm-hmm. Better animation. Yeah. Uh, yeah, better textures. Yeah, creepy fairy still. Yeah. Uh, this is the version that when I want to go back to Ocarina of Time, this is the one that I play the most. This is what I've been playing most recently. Uh, it's great. Uh, you want this one on Switch too? Mm, yeah, they'll, why they'll, not? They'll have to spruce it up a little bit more. Huh? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. But I mean, if they're going to bring any version to the Switch, I feel like it would probably mm-hmm. be this one. So yeah, yeah. Uh, okay. It's cool. It has the Master Quest too. Yeah, yeah. definitely. Totally. So fine. it's a it's a special episode. It's a jumbo sized episode. Uh, but that doesn't mean that we don't have time to play a little game. Oh, that I like to call. The question block. Oh, that's not a game. No, you're right. It's definitely not a game. Uh, Gregory Allen writes in and says, I was late to the party and didn't beat Ocarina of Time until the GameCube version that came uh, with pre-ordering The Wind Waker. I ended up loving this game way more than I expected and was start, uh, hyped to start The Wind Waker. What version of Ocarina of Time has been your favorite? Will N64 always be the best due to nostalgia? Or have the GameCube or 3DS versions topped that experience for you in many ways? We just talked about this. So, it's, yeah. It's tough. Like, you can never separate yourself from the first time you play something mm-hmm. because you have all these warm, fuzzy feelings about discovery, sharing with your friends, experiencing some something for the first time. And so, even though I'd say 3DS is the better version, it's just like I remember that level of excitement around the original release and like it just can't be replicated. Yeah. I'll tell you, the Rumble Pack with a 64 controller and a CRT television is still really, really interesting and fun to play. Mm-hmm. Yep. That's that. I feel that's par for the course. You're a retro dude. Yeah, that seems right. Yep. Casey, what about you? Uh, I uh, it's actually kind of difficult going back to the 64 controller now. Mm-hmm. Like I played a little it's bit of um, yeah. I played a little bit of Ocarina of Time yesterday when Sam hooked it up, and I was like, oh man, this controller feels real weird because it's been such a long really time. Really weird, awesome. Yeah, but really great. I mean, you can always. Yeah. It's like riding a it's bicycle. It's a terrible right? controller. <laughs> There's no way to play this game on a good controller except for like GameCube and Wii ports. And yeah. Because so like the 3DS is not a good way to play it either. Yeah, you can play it on the Virtual Console on the Wii. Slider? Come on. With the, with the GameCube controller. And I think that's that's fine. Yeah. I think that's a uncomfortable controller. That would be the best way to play it. Yeah. I would have I to get say so that. I, it might be muscle memory. I get so used to the N64 controller yeah. so quickly. Yeah. It works yeah. for this game and Mario so well, but as yeah. soon as you put in GoldenEye, 
<laughs> my goodness. Mario yeah. Mario 64 specifically, I feel like you got to play on a 64 controller. It just yeah. feels foreign to play it anywhere else. Um, okay, Kevin Sella writes in and says, First time playing Ocarina of Time was on GameCube in college, the Wind Waker pre-order disc, alongside two others, one who had played before and one who had not. We took turns, declared ourselves wisdom, power, and courage, and would only play when the other two were present. It took us the bulk of the semester, but when we beat Ganon at 2 a.m. and watched the end credits together, it was all worth it. It's crazy to think that this single-player game could create such a communal experience. Not really a question, but I thought it was yeah. a nice story. So and I like I, the play and watch. That was yeah. always so fun. So you experienced what we experienced when we reviewed the game. Mm. So when we got our copy, we basically we had to finish the day's work, publish IGN 64, and then Matt and I just sat in, in a room playing this game all night until the morning, fell asleep in the office, and then woke up and started to play again. And that, like, <laughs> when you get to the end, we used to hand off the, we handed off the controller. Mm. It was just such a, such a great memory. Yeah. Like when you guys died and you'd hand off the controller, or huh? when each of you died, you'd hand it off? No, or like just it was you just felt, whenever yeah. you're like, okay. all right, you figure this out. Yeah. Ocarina yeah. of Time was the game that connected to me to two of my best friends when I was a kid, one of which I met her when I was eight because we Even after loved. she spoiled that Sheik yeah. was Zelda for you? Even after that, yeah. it's okay. I that So that story, one of my favorite memories is I was having a sleepover at her house and we were playing The Legend of Zelda going through Jabby Jabby's belly with her little brother. And... We were at the end of the dungeon, and we needed to fight the boss, and mm. he had very low hearts. So we were going outside of Jabu's mouth to break the pots to get hearts, and we were going in and out repeatedly, yeah. mm -hmm. and then would cheer every time we got yeah. a heart because it got us that much closer to the boss. Right. And just I have memories like that with friends, and one of my friends, um, Sarah, that I've known since I was eight, and we connected because of our love of this game, are still friends now, yeah. like 20 years later, and that's insane to me, and it was all because of this game. Yeah. Oh. Um, okay, Ross Plummer. The great, uh, Russ, the Russ, great Plummer. Russ Plummer. He writes in and says, Casey, you kind of covered this, but uh, <laughs> did the did the host use a strategy guide? Do, do you miss the nerdy feeling of having a book dedicated to the game? And this is an excellent opportunity to plug mm -hmm. IGN wikis, he says. Thanks, Russ. Yeah. <laughs> do we have a full strategy guide for this game? So oh, we yeah. do. We have a really great uh, strategy guide for Ocarina of Time. Mm -hmm. So if you start playing it again, you should check out that wiki. I worked on that guide personally. Um, the, the, when the 3DS one came out, I really went in there and, and revamped it. Uh, really proud of that one. It was, um, there was no guide when I played it. I was uh, looking. I was yeah, looking there at were print guides. No, it was coming out. Uh, oh, the game was out. Yeah, 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 you played it before. Yeah. yeah. I was looking at the, the guide for uh, getting bigger on Sword to like mm. refresh my memory, and it's a really good guide. Yeah. Good job. Um, <laughs> we uh, when I was playing this game, I, I absolutely got to a point where I was like, I wasn't stuck, but I was like, I'm really curious. I want to get do everything in this game, mm -hmm. and that's why I got the strategy guide for it. I was like, I want to get all hundred spiders. I would never do that by no. myself. Yeah. So uh, I went out and I went to like you know there was the big box era for bookstores. I guess I went to like a Borders or something, and on the shelf they had different strategy guides. Yeah. For it. And I got like the pulpiest, cheapest, like crappiest one. Like I, it wasn't even a main company. And I brought in the Brady one and the Nintendo Power one today, which are both labeled the official strategy guides. Both <laughs> labeled official strategy <laughs> yeah. guides. Uh, but this one was not. It was called the unofficial Zelda strategy guide. I still don't know who published it. I've never seen that copy to this day. But uh, and I lost mine, but I loved it so much. Yeah. Like I awesome. remember how ratty yeah. it got. You yeah, know? I mean, this is it. And I you have them on the floor when you're a kid. You know? Yeah, yeah. I, I would read this as a book when I went to sleep mm -hmm. because it was written narratively. Mm -hmm. It's like Link went into the water temple and knew that he needed something. To, and That's it was so all wild. Like, written like you got to hold up that other book you have thing. there. What, which one? That one. This one? <laughs> I have a How to Draw Zelda. <laughs> it's, um, is it from that era? Yeah. Hey, Casey, See, Zelda's the girl. Yeah, Casey, this is the book you can write in. 
Yeah. Well, yeah. hey. This is on. this is old. This is from that time. Yeah. So oh wow. Cool. Wait, I didn't know they did tie-ins like this. Uh, there should be a copy. Oh, 2001. Yeah, it came oh. out right after Majora's Mask. Mm -hmm. Look what's on the back. Hey kids, you Check like out. killing these bugs? Yeah. <laughs> I think now you can color is, them. There's some Majora's Mask stuff in there. There's Volvagia. There, That's really cool. Have you ever <laughs> encountered any old stuff that says the Ocarina of Time that has the the in it? Because I remember speaking to Nintendo of America when they said, yes, we've got approval to remove the the from the title. Whoa. Oh, man. Yeah, it was going to be toot. It was going to be toot. T -O -T. Huh. Well, this is the funniest thing is that a lot of the preview issues of magazines we found say Zelda 64. Right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. And the game Shark says Zelda, Zelda 64. 64. Oh, wow. I, remember yeah, when I, I first... don't think the game came, came. Did the name come in hot, maybe? Must have. No, yeah. we just we just I mean, got used is, to calling it that. That oh, was shorthand is, for this it. This is yeah. June of 98, yeah. which yeah. means that it was probably written in it's called, April or May, right? Yeah. yeah. I remember yeah. when I first heard the term Zelda 64, I thought they were talking about a totally different game. Yeah. Yeah. Like, like I said, I was totally removed from media and everything that had to do with games we, then. We so call, I didn't know. <laughs> we called it Zelda 64 even after the title had been announced because you get so used to it. You know? Yeah. Mm -hmm. So this yeah. is Legend of Zelda 64. The Ocarina. the Ocarina of Time. Oh, they Time. actually knew it at that time already. Yeah. yeah, there you go. But on the cover, just Zelda 64. Yeah. How funny. I love this, I love this Next Gen magazine, too, because it's, it's got the gold cart, and it's embossed. So that was uh, only a limited really run cool. with the embossed carts. Yeah. So if you, got the, if you bought it in a store, you wouldn't have had that cover. And it's wild because like, the gold on it has held up so well. Nice, yeah. Nicely done, Pear. And you wrote for this life. magazine. I did, yeah. Yeah. And we, several IGN A couple of reviews in there. Gold. Yep. Yes. Uh, last question here before we have to wrap up, and that comes from our friend Chris Davies, who asks, do you think that Breath of the Wild or any future Zelda will have the long-lasting cultural impact that Ocarina of Time has? Uh, Sam, you kind of touched on this a little bit. Um, cultural impact, I, I, I don't know. I can't speak to you yet. But I will say it's that... It's not one of those pop culture games like Super Mario Brothers where like you play the music and everybody knows it. Right. It, it didn't get to that level. And I don't really know why. I mean, I think it's because Nintendo 64 wasn't as popular as the NES. I mean, are you talking about Ocarina? Because yeah. I feel like Ocarina is a, a sort of a cultural milestone, especially with, it with is gamers. for like, us. Yeah. But like my parents would have no idea what that is. But everybody yeah. knows who Mario I mean, they, is. They mm -hmm. even had Ocarina of Time cameos in like the Powerpuff Girls. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's been... It's, in what way? Uh, so there was a little scene of, I think, Buttercup or Bubble playing a game and it started with someone getting smashed with a rock and the fairy going hey listen hey listen over mm, and over again yeah no uh, but but you're right obviously the the old classics like you know even pac-man all of that they, yeah. they're more culturally just better known in the end yeah, i don't know why though uh the beginning i, I yeah, will say that earlier. that breath of the wild to me maybe not whether or not it's as culturally impactful remains to be seen. Mm. But I will say that that you hit the nail on the head earlier when you said that uh, Zelda 64, <laughs> Ocarina of Time, is to the original Zelda games uh, what Breath of the Wild is to Ocarina, right? Like, it is the way that Nintendo showed us what a 3D action game could be and how to, to navigate a 3D world and things like that versus how to create an open world, how to incentivize players for really relying on exploration and intuition like breath of the wild to me is the perfect open world game and frankly the blueprint for what i think any open world game should be looking at moving yeah. forward I'm, I'm really excited to see you know games like assassin's creed odyssey um that to me just feels like a a reskinned version of breath of the wild <laughs> in a way but like so it'll be the next generation that's looking at breath of the wild the games that haven't been in development for four or five years that are like oh we should 
take some yeah, examples. You gotta remember, from... it's hard. Yeah, of course mm -hmm. it's hard. So if nobody kept on making Ocarina of Time, I'm worried that people won't keep on making Breath of the yeah. Wild. So, but there are elements in Breath of the Wild that, um, you know, th that I think will will now persist where when somebody's making a game, they put a limitation in their game, they'll say, well, that's no longer acceptable. It used to be in a video game, you walk up to a fence and that fence, even if it was just <laughs> as high as your waist, you it. can't get over it. No. There's no way. And like then it, uh, games let you climb it like Ocarina of Time and you can't do that anymore. With Breath right. of the Wild, you see the impact on Assassin's Creed Odyssey where now you can cli climb anything. And like they, you know, they're no longer these kind of artificial... Uh, uh, lockouts, that like they even, open the world up much earlier. I think you'll see that a lot. That was even one of the things I noticed playing Red Dead because I had mm -hmm. just come from playing Assassin's Creed and it's like, I can't climb this steep hill. What's right. going on? Why can't I do this? Yeah. yeah. So I think that kind of thinking is going to be more prevalent because of games like Breath of the Wild. Yeah, and not not to say Breath of, that Breath of the Wild invented this, right? Oh, yeah, like no. the Elder Scrolls games mm -hmm. had a giant map and you can go anywhere and get yourself in trouble. Mm -hmm. right? I mean, the best part was trying so, to scale a mountain with a horse, but, right? But yeah. we can say The Legend of Zelda invented that. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and then this game basically said, if you see it, you can scale it, unless when it's raining. Right, unless it's <laughs> raining. Mm -hmm. Well, you guys, thank you so much thank for you, taking a trip down memory lane, and, and uh, thank you out there for letting us uh, wax nostalgic about the Ocarina of Time for well over an hour. Um, this is such an important game to me, and uh, I'm glad that we had an opportunity yeah. to sit here and kind of celebrate it for its 20th anniversary. Sam's going to yeah. jump right in. I and, said this earlier, but I don't think I would be here if I hadn't played Ocarina of Time when I was young. Yeah, I mean, honestly, same. Like, it's such an important game because it, it encouraged me to continue playing games in exactly. my adulthood. And, like, yeah, I, I will love this game forever. And I, we hope that you out there love this game forever as well. Um, next week's episode, or the next episode, I should say, all about Pokemon. Apologies for those of you out there who are dying to hear us talk that about trailer. the Detective Pikachu trailer or uh, you know our, well, our Pokemon Let's Go review. You guys can just call us up. We'll talk about Pokemon if you Yeah, want. that sounds great. <laughs> Next time, yeah. Um, thank you so much for watching. Remember, NVC is nin uh, IGN's Nintendo show, and you can catch us every week right here at 3 p.m. on Thursdays uh, on IGN.com and 3 p.m. on Fridays on YouTube. Uh, take it easy, guys. We'll see you next week, and don't forget, get out there and get the thing. Ha <laughs> ha!